Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your coach, your guide on the side. Happy Thursday. I don't know why I said it that way. Is that how you wake up? That's how I feel. That's how I feel. There's something. Oh, I know what it is. What was that? He did it again. we We had a clock. Holy cow! This brings ah, uh, we have a we have a clock in our bathroom, which adjoins to our bedroom, and it, I don't want to brag, but it was a clock that was a um, I don't know what you call it. Uh, it was a perfect time clock. It was like the it changed automatically whenever daylight savings would hit. It would just auto. It was like it's smart. Yeah, it does things beyond you. Beyond me, and you right. know where we why it's so expensive and powerful is we got it from Bed Bath and Beyond, of course. And um, it was as seen on TV, yeah. right? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> as seen on late night TV. Well, after daylight savings, I don't know. It's kind of like the the two thousand calamity where none of the clocks were were supposed to work when the year two thousand hit Y two K. Well, it hit, but it hit about fifteen years later than Y two K. And my clock stopped. It just stopped. So we had to buy a new clock. Well, my wife bought a new clock. And um, I put it up yesterday, last night. And that thing ticked Mm. all night long, like I guess it's supposed to. I was awake. But it's loud. 40 times. Thinking, I woke up one time thinking of three little pigs building a house in perfect perfect rhythmic order. (laughs) All night long, I could hear that thing ticking. And uh, my wife says, well, yeah, we could take it down. Yeah. We have. Oh, it's going down. We have one of those. And some nights, I don't even, I can't even tell it's there. Other nights, it's the loudest thing in the entire house. Isn't that wild? Yeah. There's like a piece missing on the bottom of the clock where I threw it once. The silencer. I just went. You threw your clock? That's not mad. Mine's up on the wall. So I have to like climb to get it. I'll go in and just pop the batteries out. Mm. That's good. That thing still looks decorative. Yeah, without all the tick. It's it's right Honestly. twice a day. It's funny though. Your subconscious is like your conscience is like, is this going to go all night? This is going to happen all night. Tick, and then it tries to make up stories in your brain. <laughs> tick, tick, golfing, putting balls that just keep dropping in. Bloop, bloop, bloop. That sounds maddening. It was maddening, and so I got I got four hours of sleep, if that, three hours of sleep. But just so you know, totally on time today. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Good for you. Way to show up to work on time. When you when you show, I showed up totally on time, and uh, you know, because I was thinking about getting up for about four hours. Well, that's good. I usually get up and go do something at that point. Yeah, I can't. Do I that. go in the other room, watch TV, hang out. But see, then I, I'd fall asleep. <laughs> so now I'm just gonna, you know, whatever. Start my day and then take my eleven o'clock nap under my table. Under my desk. That's good. That's a good place to take a nap. Uh, If you don't move, the lights don't turn on. That's exactly right. That's how your office works. (laughs) It's kind of scary because if I just freeze for more than 10 seconds, 10 minutes, uh, if I don't move, all my lights in my office turn off. 
And if I'm asleep, I don't know it. So people come and get me, and I'm sitting there in the dark. You look in the office. Oh, what are you doing? See, that's what's bad because everyone here at BYU Broadcasting, anybody that does audio editing, can just go into an audio bay, and it's it's dark in there. And I think everyone goes in and pretends to edit because there's a lot of editing going on in this company, and we don't put out a lot of audio. We're just sleeping. (laughs) Everyone's taking naps. I'm so jealous. I need to do more of my own audio editing. Take a note, James. Okay. Uh Note to self, more audio editing in dark edit bays. Mm-hmm. Uh, and lock the door so no one can just come on in lock and interrupt okay. my nap. Over. Over Sincerely, knowledge. Dr. Matt. A.K.A. Talent. <laughs> A.K.A. Talent. talent. <laughs> Lots of developments overnight. What? Oh, man, I know. This is tragic. Two police officers shot by unknown assailants yep. during a protest in Ferguson. That was actually <sighs> celebrating the uh, fact that the chief of police, Tom Jackson, resigned. <sighs> so they got together to kind of, I guess, commemorate the fact that the guy walked away. He uh, He's part of the uh, oh. the issues they've been having there with, yeah. with uh, dealing with race. And so they uh, he was asked to step down by the city. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were people were celebrating. And then about midnight when it was dispersing, somebody took a couple shots of the cops. Two cops injured. Yeah. I mean, one guy shot in the shoulder, uh, one guy shot in the face. Or they both should be fine, but still, they're shooting. Cops. Again, it doesn't fix anything. It now has seriously complicated stuff. Yes, you know it's probably time that, and I maybe you just need to do a do over. Well, do you remember in a football play? I mean, like a, when you're playing with your friends and it just didn't go well. Everyone's yeah. like, "You do over, do over." And we just Take a do mulligan, it do it yeah. again. Yeah. Don't you think? Could be. I don't know if what you can you? actually pull that off in this situation. Well, no. Maybe what you need to do is just bring in another police department for a while. Well, the the uh, one of them was from the St. Louis County Police, yep. yeah. so sheriff type of situation. Another guy, another uh, the other uh, was from Webster Groves, which is another community nearby. So what had happened is they knew the protest was going to happen. They brought in more police from the outlining areas to kind of staff up. One got shot in the face. One got shot in the shoulder. Yes. They're both critical, but should survive. Should survive. Ah, just as... Yeah. Can't keep doing this. Okay. Wow. Uh, Other news. The Iran Supreme Leader slams the GOP letter from the other day. No. 47 senators. He didn't like it? Yeah. He called it the ultimate degree of collapse in political ethics and the U.S. system's internal disintegration. Mm. So he characterized this letter from the, what was it, 47 senators, yeah, I believe yeah. it was. Um, well. he, according to Iran's news agency, Ayatollah Al-Khamenei, I believe that's how you say his name, noted that the GOP's insistence that any deal struck by President Obama could be null and void when he leaves office is a sign of America's tricks and deceits. Yeah. Well, yeah. You know, I don't know that they're the best source of... <laughs> He also says constitutional. Of course, I am worried because the other side, the United States, is known for uh, opacity, deceit, and backstabbing. Oh, totally. Yeah. So, by the way, James, that's what you were saying. You were calling me those three words yesterday as well. Yeah. Well, I thought that all Americans are known for that, and I was like, you especially. Yeah. Are known for opacity, deceit, uh, and backstabbing. Backstabbing. Yeah. I did find it interesting the news reports yesterday talking about everyone's outrage that the Republicans did this, but when President Bush was in office, the Democrats went and talked to the leader of Syria. Oh, yeah. To kind of open up communication that the 
the the the administration was trying to isolate Syria, and the Democrats went over. It was Nancy mm-hmm. Pelosi went over and sat down with Bashar al-Assad, his yeah. name is, sat down with him and tried to open up negotiations but against that, the no, president. Terry, wishes. that's different. That it's was exactly different. the same. No, that see that was different because that was different because those were different times. Right. It was a few years see, ago. This is every one of these stories go back to the same thing. We just can't get along, and we could. We just aren't. We just need a national impetus, something to bring us all back together. And we also seem to want to work with the leaders of Iran more than the other party. Yeah, isn't that interesting? It's kind of an interesting. <laughs> to the people we despise, we let's go there. Let's go there instead of just working with each other. An archaeologist in the Bavarian city of Regensburg. Hmm. Ronald Regensburg? No, I I think it's Regensburg. Okay. They have, and this is in Germany, you found that uh, the remains of a pretzel. Ooh. As well as a roll and a croissant that date back to the 18th century. Well, now look, I've watched a lot of CSI. I've never heard of remains Uh uh, being associated with pastries, or really any carbohydrate. It says the archaeologists explained that the baked treats were only preserved for centuries because they had been burned when they were made. Oh. The researcher believed the bake dis, uh, the baker discarded them because they were burned, and he's not going to use them. Nobody's going to eat a burnt pretzel. So we have a pretzel, a roll, and a croissant from the 18th century. Okay, let's just say. I mean, that sounds like a bad joke. But which one would you eat? Eesh. I'd go with the croissant. You can't go wrong with croissant. It's burnt, though. Hey, they, they're in, all burnt. And it's been in the dirt. Oh, well. Yeah, I think that guy's probably the the worst baker of all time, that he baked something so poorly that it stuck around <laughs> until 2015. The hardened crust <laughs> from the the burnt edges. The carbonized crystal crust. Mummified and mm. preserved. That is. That's, that's pretty mm, bad. Pretzels. Hey, we got to do one more story because today we're talking about the economy. Do you feel like you have a clue about what's going on in the U.S. economy? You hear all of these reports, like you hear the jobs, you know, jobs markets up. We also hear the middle class is shrinking. We hear, you know, this battle between who actually creates jobs in this world, the government or the market and the corporations. Here's here's one thing we might end up having to do if the economy doesn't improve, right? In Indonesia, a woman was selling her house. And um, in order to kind of up the ante a little bit and make sure she could sell the house, she's put the house on the market with a pond. So you get a house and a pond and a backyard, the trifecta. And then the cherry on top, you get a wife. So I'm thinking, James, if it doesn't work out with you and McConkie, what's her name? Melancola. Melancola Fitch. Yep. If it doesn't work out with you and Melancolovich, then you go to Indonesia, you pick up a house. It's only $76,000. But you get a house, a pond, a backyard, and a wife, a 40-year-old wife named Wina Leah. And you, you don't have to have the wife. She's you, optional? Yeah. Okay. She's optional. The pond and the yard have to go with the house. But if you don't want the wife... And she's lovely and she's smart, obviously. She's trying so, to close the deal. So the wife is kind of like the washer and dryer. If you like, they'll well, leave yeah, it, but, but, but if you don't want it, we'll. Because <laughs> we're going to start getting. No, wives are not like washers and dryers. More but of in a refrigerator? In, w- w- uh, is it an appliance type situation? No, okay. it's kind of just. It's, it's, a ben- it's an option. Okay. It's an upsell. 
So they're going to maybe put new tile in the bathroom or a wife. <laughs> I, the wife's just part of it. But he said ever since yesterday morning, there are continuous calls. I don't count how many, but there are dozens, maybe even hundreds. So dozens to hundreds seems different. But, uh, but if someone wants the house, they can have it, and they don't have to have the single mother, the wife. They don't have to. Is this against her will, or is oh, she? Oh no, she's all for it. Oh, okay. that's how she's going to get the most out of her house. Anyway, enterprising folks, enterprising. See, that's what's wrong with America. We don't bundle. We don't bundle our house sales with an entire family. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Anyway, we're going to take a break. When we come back, Doctor Christian Vom Lem is going to join us here from Brigham Young University. He's an economist. Uh, Princeton trained, my friends, and he is going to walk us through the economy. What's really going on? Uh, Is it it as bad as it sounds, or are we doing a lot better? We're going to talk about it up next right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, every day as we turn on the news, we hear uh, more and more reports about the economy. It's up. It's down. We're in debt. We're flourishing. We have jobs. We don't have jobs. Some jobs are being reported. Some aren't being reported. Anyway, what does it all mean? And uh, to me, it's just more confusion. So I wanted to bring in an expert that could walk all of us through what's really going on just at a basic level. So as you start to hear these uh, these numbers, they make more sense to you. You remember yesterday we talked about the stock market, our mutual funds. Today we're doing the economy and just trying to give you a leg up so you can better understand at least what's being said. We're bringing in today Christian Vom Lem, and he is an assistant professor of economics at Brigham Young University. He received his uh, bachelor's or his BS uh, in economics from Brigham Young University also uh, has a Ph.D. in economics from Princeton and a master's from Princeton. His primary research areas are macroeconomics and labor economics. So we'll be able to ask him a lot about, I guess, what's going on in the labor market. But again, Christian, thanks for being here. Uh, no problem. Happy to be here. It really, you know, what I find out, the more I've been doing my show here, is you don't know who to believe anymore. <laughs> you know what I mean? Everybody's got an angle and everybody needs to look like they're producing results. True. So uh, – and again, it depends where you get your news because on the we have a lot of media sources too that don't necessarily you know make it clearer. And we just keep dropping terms, debt, um, deficit, um, spending, uh, GDP, all of these terms that may not make sense to a lot of people. So First things first, uh, we went through, a, I guess, a recession. Is that what we call it? Yeah, that's what we call it. And it hit a lot of people. I mean, I think it pretty much hit everyone some way, whether yeah. they felt it economically or just saw it uh, in their lives or their families. How are we doing from where we were maybe five, seven years ago? Are we are we getting back in the game? So we're definitely on the recovery track right now. Yeah. Um, you know, it definitely looks like we still have room to grow and still have places to go. We haven't reached the highs of maybe the uh, the early 90s, mid-90s right. there. Uh, but in terms of, say, employment growth and growth in the number of people employed, 
2014 was our best year since 1999. Was so, it really? So, so we're getting back on track. There's still a lot of signs of you know work to do, but but we're in a good direction and we're starting to pick up speed. In fact, didn't just the last report wasn't it like down to it, the unemployment rate was down to 5.5 percent is what the White House is reporting. Is that yep. right? Yeah, no, that's yeah. Now some people are like, right? Because isn't that only reporting a certain number of unemployed? Yeah, so so this is a, a nuance that's often missed is that to be unemployed, you have to not only not have a job, but you actually have to be actively seeking a job okay. and ready to start within a few weeks. Yeah. So if you're someone who lost your job in this crisis and got discouraged because you applied for a lot of jobs, nothing worked out, you began to think maybe I can't find work, you give up, you're not counted as unemployed. You just right. leave the labor force. And so that just people getting discouraged and leaving can push down oh, the unemployment rate. So that, that's something yeah. to watch out for with so that we say 5.5% are unemployed. That is probably 5.5% of those are actively out looking for jobs yep. and, and, and ready to start within a couple of weeks. Yeah. So those, yeah, that fraction of the people who are looking and who have jobs, uh, that's 5.5%. Well, and it seems like you would be looking, um, I mean, but eventually you're going to get unemployment. So do, do we know how many people are on unemployment? Oh, uh, yeah. So we have data on the number of claims that people yeah. file for unemployment, and we can track that uh, and it see that. seems like that would be a really good indicator for how many are unemployed or how many are we paying for. Well, in principle, to qualify for unemployment insurance, you have to be searching okay. still. So, so the people who are getting uh, yeah. UI benefits, unemployment insurance benefits, they're still looking if they? they're getting those benefits. At least we, we Suppo- are yeah. tr- supposed to be. Allegedly yeah. is the word we use a lot on this <laughs> yeah. show. Is it um, – so it really could then be a combination of the unemployment uh, that are getting unemployment benefits and that 5.5%. So that would that would grow it. What, what would you guess? What's your gut about what percentage of the country is unemployed and, and would want to work, but some are just disheartened. Some have given up. Maybe some have passed their prime, they feel, and they, it's harder to get a job in a certain age group or – Sure. So there's another measure of unemployment, which we look at, which includes people who are discouraged or underemployed, people yeah. who are forced into part-time work, but it's not a really good situation for them. I think that number is up closer to, to 10 percent. Is it? Um, that number is always going to be higher than yeah. the official unemployment rate. And it's true that that number has been much more slow to decline. Now, it's been declining lately. It's looking good, but we're nowhere looking as good as that 5.5 unemployment right. rate would tell us. We're, we're doing better, but but not quite that healthy. What What year did we say? that the economy tanked? Um, so in terms, would say probably between 2007, 2009. I mean, 2008, 2009 was some of the worst of it. What, so what was the unemployment rate then? Uh, so we peaked at uh, the official one we measure in the, the data. That got up to near to 10%. That's amazing. So, so that, yeah, that, that's, that, that was the worst it got. That was the worst what it was got. The, what was the employment rate when we were kind of in the heydays, maybe 2000? 2000. 2000. Yeah, uh, two, well, so 2000, there was another downturn was, uh, right. in 2000. So but 99, if, I guess the if, Clinton. If we're looking before, yeah, yeah kind of Clinton years, uh, I'm with the employment rates probably closer to what we're seeing right now, really? uh, 5 6%, yeah. maybe as low as 4 in places, uh, depending on the fluctuations. How do you, as an economist, and, and a, an economist at a university, um, what numbers do you trust? I mean, I mean, because it just seems like if a lot of this, some of this is politicking, not just from President Obama, but every president is playing with the numbers, sure. right? You got to, especially. So what numbers do you trust? 
So for me, I think I would look to the official uh, reports from the government agencies, but I think it's not even so much a number of uh, do I believe these numbers so much as what are these numbers actually measuring and do they mean what people claim they mean? Okay. And I think that's where a lot of the spin comes in is the number is probably right. But maybe you're putting a spin on it saying this means something far different than in reality. Yeah. And it's the spin. So I think the better you know how these are measured and where they come from, you're able to cut through the spin a lot mm-hmm. more and see what's really going on. Well, and it, I mean, it feels different. The economy, and that's subjective to me, but it, it just seems like people are spending money. It seems like stuff's happening. Yeah, I mean, we're seeing across the board, I mean, not just employment, but we're seeing, you know, consumer spending is rising. People are appearing to be less scared and having – we're seeing less of a jump in saving. People mm-hmm. are beginning to spend again. So there's a number of indicators that we're getting back to that kind of pace where we want to be right. in the past. Is there a um, – one of the things that it seems like we hear a lot about is China. We know that we borrowed, I guess, a lot of money from China as well. But China, China's economy is really struggling right now. Well, China's economy is slowing down. Is that what's uh, happening? So, so they were growing at amazing uh, rates of growth for a long time, and they're still growing yeah. at an amazing growth rate. It's just not as fast as before and not as fast as we thought. So it's okay. a little slower. So I think uh, their thinking estimates are now down in the 7% range. Their and, growth is only 7%? Uh, well, is what is, 7% a year, but that's, you know, pretty good. <laughs> that, that's pretty good. That, that's quite I mean, a bit. We're, we're struggling, what, to grow 2 per 2.5%? Sure, exactly. So, so in some sense, yeah, China's still growing very fast, but people are worried if this slowing growth, is there something looming? Is there something we should be worried about? Uh, but but in terms of growth, they're still much faster than we are right now. Um, are we, I had a son ask me about our debt. Yeah. Tri- what is it? 18 trillion, <laughs> whatever the number is. It's a scary is. number. Yeah, and he, he said it and I'm like, I don't know. I'm going to have to ask our expert. Dad, are we ever going to get out of this debt? Mm. So, so government debt is, is certainly a controversial topic for many and, and it can be confusing because certainly you hear numbers like, you know, trillions of dollars. That's, that's yeah, scary. That's, that's right. You know, that's more than you or I could pay off if we had to. Right. So, so, I mean, so the question is, will we ever get out of it? And yes, I mean, you look at the best way to, I think, measure debt in a consistent way is to look at the ratio of debt to our GDP. Yeah. And so just GDP for clarity, and that's the total income. Gross domestic Gross product. domestic product. So all the money's earned. Yep. You can either measure it as all the income, all the money's earned in a country in a given period of time, or the total amount of expenditures okay. in a country in a given. So if you measure, if you use that and you look at the ratio of how much debt do we have compared to that, you could think Gee. of if well, we, yeah. yeah, it's like your house, right? So I can buy a whatever, $100,000 house if I'm making 30 grand, 40 grand. Yeah. So, so if you, if you look at the debt ratio to our GDP, right now it's about 70%. That's 70% if you exclude all the debt the government owes to itself. There's a lot of debt the government we owes owe itself, which yeah. is kind of confusing. So, yeah. so 70%. Um, that's not an all-time high in the United States. Oh, it really? was above 100% in World War II. Wow. Uh, so, so first of all, we can take comfort hey, that, okay, we're not that it's bad. been worse <laughs> yeah. and we got better from that. Uh, but, but the big way to get out of you know of worrying about stop worrying about the debt is just to see the economy grow. Um, I mean, you know, if you look back, I was looking at the numbers this morning. Uh, Nineteen eighty, uh, GDP was one fifth 
of what it is today. Hmm. It's grown five times in the last 35 years. Five, so those are five, good signs. So if we grow at that pace, yeah, we owe a lot of money right now, but mm-hmm. it's going to become comparatively smaller as the economy grows bigger and bigger, as long as we don't keep borrowing more, more money more at more. an unsustainable And have pace. we pretty much stopped borrowing? So if you look, so the deficit, so yeah. we could think about Let's the talk, debt is the yeah. total amount I owe, yeah. but the deficit is how much on a day-to-day am I spending more than I get in terms okay. of income yeah. and taxes. So the deficit has returned to what would call normal levels. Okay. Uh, so that's the deficit on on average a year is close to about between 5% of GDP and maybe a surplus of, of 5%. We're back to a 2% deficit. Okay. Um, whereas in the crisis, it ran up to 10%. So 2%. So we are spending... Two percent more than we bring in. Well, so so GDP isn't what we necessarily bring, bring in, in right? right? So I mean, there's right. there's tax revenue, right. which is proportional to GDP. For Do the we most spend part. what we bring in? Do uh, we the, spend more than we bring in? The, the you know we call it a deficit for a reason, yeah. right? It, it, we're generally spending more. Uh, more than we're bringing in. Okay, if we got to talk about that, we got to take a break, but. See, now, again, I'm not an economist, Christian, but that's messed up because <laughs> if I do that at my house, I'm in trouble. Sure. Well, and, you know, and certainly one of the challenges for this is, you know, your house isn't the government and the government has a few things that can do print my own can. money. <laughs> I won't even make a joke about printing my own money. I'll have people here. Uh, we're going to take a break. We're talking with Christian Von Len here from Brigham Young University. Um, he is a professor, assistant professor of economics. Uh, and really, he's making it simple. This is easier than I thought, Christian. Well, the, good. The economy's not that hard. Come on. You don't have to go to Princeton. You just got to listen to somebody that did. We'll take a break, my friends. Come back and continue discussing the economy when we come back right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. In the house, Dr. Christian Vomlen. He is a an assistant professor of economics here at Brigham Young University. He's basically walking us through the economy. Every time you listen to the news, one of the top stories will be economic news, economic information about the country, whether it's jobs reports, uh, basically, you know, if you've ever heard him bring up Social Security, the fears of Social Security, um, and this, and our aging, you know, population, all of that, taxation, any of those issues, we're really talking about the economy. So we wanted to bring Christian in. He's a professor here at BYU. Also has a PhD in economics from Princeton University and a master's as well. And um, we're just picking his brain. You know, he's he actually. You know, it's weird. I'm finding out is he talks like a normal guy. He's not even like. Like I thought, they they said, "Ah, oh, we're bringing on an economist," and I'm like, "Oh boy, <laughs> that's going to get hard." But Christian, you're all, you're like normal. Well, apparently, we have work to do on our reputation. Then, <laughs> actually, you don't. Um, but you're also an expert in kind of the labor field as well. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So we, we've we've basically said the economy it's doing well, doing better. Yeah. It's coming back. Hmm. Um. Is it is it are we are we the one of the leaders? I mean, are, are we economically doing better than most? Did we come out of this recession better? I mean, I know Greece has taken a beating. Yeah, certainly Greece is. They're on uh, the ropes. Is really struggling right now. Yeah, 
Um, yeah, I mean, definitely right now our position uh, relative to the rest of the world is, is actually quite strong. I mean, I wouldn't say on an objective metric that we're really strong, yeah. but relative to others, we're doing pretty good. So, so the euro area is really struggling. Europe's still having a lot of struggles. Japan has been struggling. Uh, Have they? Yeah. It's interesting because it's so because we keep hearing news that Japan's on the rise, aren't they? I thought they were doing something. Maybe it's just recent news. Some one is probably one indicator they did well in. Sure. I mean, I mean, Japan is certainly a large economy and they, they contribute a lot to the global economy, but they've had some lingering issues for, for a few decades and they're, they're facing some tr- struggles really getting their economy into high gear of kind of the golden golden years there yeah. for them. And, and that, that's kind of looming over them. How do we get our economy really back on track? And they've had some missteps. And, and so, so, yeah, the U.S. has come out very strong. Even in the crisis, you might say some of these younger developing countries like Brazil or, or China surpassed us mm-hmm. in terms of how they were doing, but even they have slowed down some. So our, our position is quite strong at the moment. So if, if you had to give us an economic health grade, <laughs> uh, A is like, you know, totally fit, perfect, and F is we're flabby, we've got, you know, heart, heart uh, our, our, uh, what's it called? Um, we got heart issues. We're, we're 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 struggling. Sure, that's an F. Where where would you put us? Oh, I'd put us probably. I'd say we're passing. Okay, we're, we're, we're passing, we're passing grade. but but you know maybe we're still at like C plus B minus range. Okay. You know maybe yeah. creeping into B territory, but there's a sense of like we're going we're moving in the right yeah. direction, but we still. How close to the F did we get? Oh, pretty darn close. Where did I mean, we? I mean, at the, I mean, most people, some people have been tempted to call this recent crisis the Great Depression 2.0. Okay, yeah. Uh, I mean, in terms of you know major economic disaster, this is probably the second biggest in our recent collective memory. There've been ones way in our distant memory that were bad, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, this probably takes second place to the the Great Depression in the last century. Did the stimulus plans that uh, that were put in place did they work? Then could we give credit? To yeah. the response of our leaders, because one of the things we try to do on the show is talk about leadership. Did the response of our leaders kind of take a? I mean, help us through that. Yes. So, so I think it's important to think. Of, there's two different branches of policy yeah. that we conduct. So we have people managing the supply of money and the economy and the banks, and and that you hear a lot about the Federal Reserve. They yeah. do that, and then you have this stimulus side where Congress gets together and passes spending Throws down a or trillion tax dollars. Okay, yeah. yeah. So, so I think if we distinguish, I think most people feel like the money side we did a really good job. We're still making sure that the fixes we applied in the yeah. recession won't come back to haunt us. Right. But we did a pretty good job there. People feel like that if we had done much worse. Then we might have actually had Great Depression. Okay, point. yeah. So the, the belief is that we prevented a second Great Depression through those policies. The stimulus side and the spending—it's it's just harder to tell. Hard I to mean, tell. there were a lot of big promises made mm-hmm. um, when those bills were passed that would see rapid declines in unemployment, rapid bounce backs in, in GDP. We didn't see those promises come through, but it's hard yeah. to know what would have happened if we didn't. Did. Would have been That's far right. worse. So there's a lot of debate about that still. I think on average, most people think it did some good, um, but we're still debating how much and was it worth the cost. Well, and I guess that's interesting because uh, also it's not like it was one thing. There's It could be one bill for a trillion dollars and half sure. of it was a bunch of hooey. That, that and, and, wasn't helpful, and other another half of it may have been helpful, right? And, and I think you'll find most people will agree that the stimulus could have been better targeted. We okay. could have done a better job at trying to weed out potential pet projects, yeah. and, and you know, just really focus on what are the best places to invest our money to try and help the economy get on track. And 
it's always subjective as to what is best. But, but it's also really it's it's kind of we should all probably breathe a sigh of relief that we dodged a major bullet. Sure, it's still a pretty bad and, bullet. Yeah, but yeah, but yeah. not yeah. Yeah, major, we took a yeah. bullet. Yeah. We dodged 50 bullets. We took 50, but we dodged 50. <laughs> yeah, there um, you go. Is it uh, – so, so the economy is, you know, B, C-ish, C-plus, trending toward B – or B-minus, trending up. That's good. That's a great – Sounds thing. better than Again, that. that's just my language. I need it simplified like that. I'm not that smart. Um, talk about uh, – because it seems like what we – what would – some would argue the fastest way to get this really back is just raise some taxes. And then others would say, but the minute you raise the taxes, you're taking money away that is probably propping up some of this country. Sure. So is so and, and, you know, then there's the whole, you know, the Bush tax cuts and Republicans are always wanting less and Democrats are always wanting more. Talk about taxes in relation to where we are maybe in our in our economy. Where do we fit as far as being a taxed populace? And what's the upside and the downside of just injecting more revenue in to the government? Yeah, so, so the natural comparison here is us versus Europe. And compared to Europe, our taxes are very low. Mm. Um, our social programs are also much less generous. Yeah. There's kind of this trade-off. We tax less, we have less income, so we can pay for less. Right. Um, you know, I, I think, think most people think that if you cut taxes, that is going to help the economy grow. Raising them will slow it down. But you also have to pay attention to if I'm spending a bunch of money, you know, where am I going to pay for that? Do I just pay for that through the economy growing? Right. Do I pay for it by raising taxes to pay off, you know, Debt a, a debts? Yeah. And, you know, and and so so I think that a lot of the contention is about you know what's the right trade off between spending and taxes, mm-hmm. uh, and both sides have you know issues with the, you know some want to raise and yeah. push down taxes, want to spend more. I mean, right. if we, it's true if we were to raise taxes, we could afford more generous welfare programs, social programs, uh, better unemployment insurance to help people in crises mm-hmm. like the one we just went through. Um, yeah, it, it's it's kind of it's hard because there's there's the theories and there's probably it's really got to be frustrating for you because there's kind of the economic theories yeah then there's kind of economic realities and then there's also <laughs> political realities right yeah. so i mean economically if we could raise taxes bring money in and that money specifically went to paying down debt that might be interesting but we also i don't i mean then everyone's like well yeah but do you trust a politician to just Use the money right, so th- so then it's like then it's it gets more complicated. So as an academic, when you sit back and look at the economy, what ha- what are you what are you thinking? Uh, I mean, I'm thinking in in many cases, my personal opinion is that we should be very measured in how the government gets involved, right? I yeah. mean, I mean, I I think that historically, if we want to talk about reducing our debt, the best way to do that is just to grow a lot faster, so the debt looks small by comparison, and it's very manageable. Right. Um, and I think a lot of growth in many ways, it's just best, okay, the government should generally say, okay, let's let people spend their money the way they think is best. Let's, you know, let them run their businesses. Obviously, there are places where there's imperfections in markets and the government should intervene. There should be help potentially for some people who are struggling, disabilities, various challenges like that. Um, but I, I think there's a Many people would argue that uh, the government, the more they get involved, the more complicated it gets. Yeah. So as an academic, you want to see the best thing happen, but you always fear the government getting involved <laughs> is, is a you know, Pandora's box. You That's don't know right. what you're oh, going to no, get. Totally. And even, even, if it, even if their intention is well you know, intended, it doesn't mean it's going to be well delivered. Yeah. yeah. And um, I guess one of the things that uh, you hear a lot in some of the, uh, the battles between Republicans and Democrats 
and and I think uh, Mitt Romney once said, you know, businesses make uh, jobs, not yeah. governments. And then a bunch of others came back. I think even Hillary Clinton just said it uh, fairly recently. Well, government is a is is a key source. Sure. My belief is they're both right. You need governments yeah. to run businesses or, I mean, just go to places where there's no stable government. Yeah. And you probably don't see a thriving business world. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, but when you think about it, because you're a labor expert, um, and, and you can almost – I'm sure you could even see labor law and labor – I mean, the government could impede on labor. Mm-hmm. And so – and businesses could impede on and, and take advantage of the people. Yeah. So, so wh- where where are you in that battle, and 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 what? How do you see the relationship between government and business? What what's the ideal, and what's the real? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it really just depends on how competitive you think the the workplace is. How fair is it? Are, are businesses really paying workers what they're worth, or do owners of businesses? You know, say, well, I own the business, so I'm going to pay you less than you deserve because I have power here. It's hard for you to find a job. I'm going to treat you, quote, unfairly. Yeah. And and I think people say, well, if they're doing that, the government should try and do something to level the playing field. Um, I think that certainly exists to some extent in places. Um, I think one of the big questions here, though, is not so much how fair is – the marketplace, but but how good are our workers at having the skills that are needed? So I mean, mm. there was I read in the Wall Street Journal the other day, the if you they survey small businesses to ask what fraction of them are having a hard time finding new employees because of a skills gap, that the yeah. skills they need versus the applicants is a them. gap. That's an all time high since two thousand six. Really? So so there's a sense at the business level that we can't find the people we want. Now I mean maybe that's blowing smoke. I mean who knows? But but it does seem like there's this gap of we have. A changing types of technology in the world, yeah. changing patterns of trade. The jobs we want performed require certain skills, and it's becoming, at times right now, yeah. harder to find some of those skills uh, the way we'd like. And that puts it at a premium, though. So if you bring those skills in, you're going to be paid at a higher level because there's uh, there's an absence of those skills. People need them. Yeah. And it's, so one of the things I study a lot is is how much is technology replacing workers and what, uh-huh. what is that doing to our economy? And people often ask me, well, well what should I do? I'm worried that technology is going to steal my job. And the answer is, well, be really good at what you do. That's right. If you're really skilled, even if it's something maybe a computer can do, mm-hmm. in most cases, we're still going to keep you around because you're so good. Yeah. And, and I think that skill and developing the best you can be is a great way to, to ensure yourself against, uh, against jobs. Yeah. Loss. There's a great quote that says, um, superior performance fosters independence of action. Mm. So top performers have freedom yeah. that, you know, mediocre performers don't have. Because <laughs> when, you, when you really can pull a result and show the results, you can pretty much do more what you want. Yeah. Sadly, and I guess positively, because then it's more up to you. And I guess this kind of gets into the argument, though, about – the middle class, because if the businesses are all thriving, they're all taking really big dividend. I mean, there's a lot of money being made right now in in businesses. A lot of money is even going back into businesses, and a lot of them it seems like are holding on to a lot of money. I yeah. don't know if that's the case, but is it? So then they're saying, you know, the top one percent just keeps getting stronger, and the the middle class is shrinking, and the poor are getting bigger. So mm-hmm. is there such thing as is the middle class shrinking? Well, I think the question is. What is the middle class? I think if we yeah. ask, you know, maybe seventy-five percent of the public, yeah, I'm middle class, but seventy-five percent is an awful big That's chunk a big to just middle be, class. be middle right. class. And 
So, so what is middle class, I think, is hard to define. I think a lot of people are still feeling the after effects of the recession, who, and they classify themselves as middle class. They yeah. feel like we're being pressured. We feel like, you know, that, yeah, they're that digging upper out 1%. They're digging out of they may have accrued. Yeah. yeah. The 1% seems to have it really grand. I mean, the, the actual uh, humor of it is the 1% was hit pretty bad in the recession, too, because they had a lot of wealth tied yeah. up in markets. Um, of course, they still have a lot of wealth, they period. They have a lot of wealth. Come on. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, no, I, I think there's a lot of forces squeezing the middle class. You can talk about the decline of manufacturing industries, especially as we increase our trade patterns with other developing countries. Again, this technology question, are certain jobs you know, being replaced by machines? Can computers get rid of certain types of middle class jobs? And, and I think it's easiest to think about the middle class in terms of, okay, what will we call a middle class job? What jobs are paying? Yeah. What's an average of, middle class job? What's an average job? middle class job? Um, and a lot of those jobs we see – um, perform tasks that are very rule-based, very repetitive. Yeah. They follow specific procedures. And those are the ones you worry, oh, those are easy Robotic. to tell someone. <laughs> give it to a robot or you know, someone overseas, here's the set That's of rules, true, huh? just do it. Yeah. And, and so we worry about that class of jobs uh, vanishing and you know, what will happen to the people who've been doing these jobs. That's Can true. they make the transition to higher skill jobs or are they forced into more service, yeah. low-skill labor? Hey, we have about 30 seconds. So what's the one thing as an economist that studies this day in and day out, what, what is the one thing that, that we should not necessarily worry about, but what, what would we focus on? The, what would be the best thing for the average American to focus on? I think the average American is just focusing on getting themselves as skilled as possible, getting themselves trained, find what they're good at, do it well. You know, then you'll have a lot of job security. Yeah. And, and, and finding that, that niche for yourself and being really good at it. That's going to protect you against fears of robots, taxes, debts. Right. You know, you're going to have a secure position. And so I think just focusing on putting yourself in the best position possible, even if the economy does tank, That's you know, cool. you're safe. And retool if you need to. I mean, if you're not in exactly. the place you need to be, you got – I mean, do it. Do it now so in three years you are where yeah. you need to be. Don't get complacent. Ah, Christian. Well done, my friend. Christian Vom Lem Len. Christian Vom Len here from Brigham Young University, Assistant Professor of Economics and we appreciate you, my friend. Man, I even understood that. <laughs> Crazy. We're going to take a break. We'll come back, uh, do a quick uh, review of the headlines again. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Ah, the economy. We didn't even get into interest rates, world banks. I'd still like to know what's going on in Greece. I mean, we got that place has got to figure it out because we can't have a we can't have a drop in baklava, world baklava. Ugh. Hey, uh, folks. Um, so the economy. Uh, it's doing, it's doing better. It's not ideal, you know, B, B minus, but Hey, James, he'll take a B minus any day. Love the B minus. <laughs> As they say, C's get degrees. So B minus gets the, gets the, the, the um, you know, as the, we say, that the, the, yeah. gets the, the, the B minus gets the, um, almost gets the C. The C it's yeah. Yeah. Good times. 
Hey, did you hear this? Uh, speaking of our economy, apparently it's doing okay because now you can call, let's just say, because James was talking to me about this the other day. Let's say you, you want to go somewhere. You want to fly somewhere mm-hmm. on your jet, okay? And uh, your dog is sick and you got to take your dog. Let's say you're like Paris Hilton and yeah. you've got a dog, you know, one of those little... I have a chihuahua in Chihuahua, yeah. 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 So you got to take your dog. You know that there is there's a new program out of Los Angeles, I guess, where you can take a cross-country business trip with your dog, even if it's sick, because this this you rent the jet, but the jet comes with a vet. Whoa, that's its that's its its slogan. The jet vet. The jet vet. Wow. You know. Which makes it so, you know, if you need a private jet and you need a ride-along vet, they'll also give you a concierge pet service. So the jet vet and the pet, the trifecta. There, uh, it, I'm surprised that there's a market for this, that there's a big enough market yeah. that it's they actually provide a service for this. Yeah. It's called Jet Set Vets. Really? Yeah. Jet Set Vets? Yeah. Well, I mean, you've heard of like the airplanes that'll like go transport a sick patient. Yeah, yeah. To go get treatment somewhere. Well, what about the dogs? Jet set vet pet for pets. Mm-hmm. Wow. One uh, such jet took a f- cat to uh, from one from Colorado, basically. I guess. Oh, oh, the radiation treatments. The cat had cancer, and it needed treatments for with radiation in Colorado. So they had to fly it from the New York apartment where the cat lives. The cat has an apartment in New York. And so the cat just called up a vet or the vet jet and the vet jet took him to Colorado to get their treatment. Isn't that amazing? That's really cool. I mean, what's happening to us? It used to be. I mean, I bet every farmer listening to the show right now is like, oh, boy, I'll take care of that cat. You know what I mean? I have a relative, I won't name names, but he's a brother-in-law. And, you know, when someone in the family has a sick animal, he can't believe we take him to a vet. You know, they're sick. Animals get sick. We just take them out on the farm and and I'm like, but these people love this animal. Well, I know, but you're not going to spend $1,000 on the animal. Well, some people are spending thousands for the jet to get them the help. So anybody that argues the economy is not doing okay, obviously didn't know about the jet vet. Yeah, I feel like there's two drastic uh, differing uh, approaches to uh, health. Uh, one, you fly them out to get the medical help or just get the medical help close by. The other one is is uh, put them down. <laughs> well, and I think there's others. Let me give you one. You, one, you just get them a nice pillow. Okay, yeah. And then what I used to do with my dog is I just put peanut butter on the roof of his mouth and he'd just lick it off for about an hour in heaven. And totally fix the problem. Well, got a broken a leg disease. there, buddy? Yeah. Here's some peanut butter for you. Yeah. Put on the roof that of your didn't mouth. Help. I think the biggest thing about the pets when they're sick, if you really want to help them, just don't put that plastic thing around their neck. That little it, bucket lid head. It, it almost It's like you're shaming the animal yeah. as it runs around with the lens. I mean, I get it. Yeah. You don't want them to gnaw on their wound. But that's the – what's that? The cone of shame. Yeah. It's putting insult to injury. You know, it's really cool actually how much people love their animals. I mean that's – and I guess if we have the resources, that's – and it is a huge industry. So you don't want to fault them. But man, 
Call the vet jet. Who are you going to call? The vet jet. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't quite work. It does. Yeah, it's not like no. Ghostbusters. No, yeah. not at all. Not even close. Mm-mm. Anyway, the vet jet. We're going to take a break, my friends. Man, got a great show for you coming up. Uh, you know, we've talked a lot about those medical or uh, the health watches and the Apple Watch release. We're going to get in detail into these these Fitbits, all of these fitness kind of tools that people are using to track their health. Uh, Dr. David Myers will be joining us. Great stuff. We're out of here, my friends. We'll take a break. Back next hour on The Matt Townsend Show. Good morning, everybody. Hour number two of the Matt Townsend Show. We're starting a new one. And, again, rich. It'll be a rich, enlightening hour. Tools, ideas, solutions to help you create and find and make your good life. Everyone's got a different one. you got to find yours. No one's going to carry your life for you. So welcome to the program. Uh, a lot going on in the news, of course. And when we when we always talk about the news, you know, you would think – sometimes it just sounds like same old, same old, same old. But the reality is we have a crew that they are digging for news nonstop. So much so that poor little Terry's fingertips are just bloody and raw because he's been out there digging for news. Really? That's a, it's kind of a metaphor. Okay. It was just a metaphor. Trying to say typing on a computer and yeah. surfing the web, it's yeah. really you did not a, that tough. You did a Google search news. You're typing a little too hard if your fingers are bloody. Right. <laughs> that guy. Nobody types harder than Terry. She watched that guy. Whatever. So, you know, what's up? So where do you think of Chris Christie? I think he's a great guy. Uh, speaks his mind. Do you like that in a candidate? I do. You want someone to just walk up there and tell yeah. you how it is? I mean, a lot of them yeah. say they're going to do that. No. He no. actually has a lot of experience in doing oh, that. Oh, he does that all the time. But that's probably why a lot of people might not like him. He, he also kind of comes across as a threatening individual at a times. cannon a little bit. A little bit. He, uh, he had his bridge situation. Oh, that was bad. Where... He may or may not have been involved. Allegedly. That's, yeah. There's some other things going on now with some Exxon payments. Really? That type of thing. Yeah. That's still kind of in the developmental stages. Like was he filling up the, the, go- the some, governor's There were some car? donations oh, okay. to certain oh, like, causes. That, okay. So that's allegedly out there. Yeah. They're, they're looking into that. The New Jersey governor uh, presumed presidential ambitions. He hasn't declared, as no one really officially no has one declares. Yet. They've just all got ambition. He took a huge hit in the past year, and underscoring that, how far the New Jersey governor has fallen, the national, on the national stage, 57% of GOP voters say they could not see themselves voting for him in 2016. What percent? 57% yeah. of GOP voters. Hmm. So he's not, he's not really wowing them. He's not converting them yet. Right. But I mean, how or, do you know? Who I think you're I think for? at one point he was maybe seen as maybe a front runner. He was one yeah. of the the the, the, the more he, option. Uh, isn't he kind of more of a rhino? 
You know what I mean? Less of a he, see the he's not overly conservative. Wasn't that part of the deal? Yeah, he's not conservative enough. Yeah. But now this with the bridge and with some other things, he mm. might have some issues that way. Um, according to it, says, this is an NBC Wall Street Journal poll. Uh, only 32% said they could possibly back Christie next year. As for Donald Trump, in the same survey, only 20% of GOP respondents said they could back the reality TV host, uh, while 74% said they could not. Yeah. Donald Trump will always run just until his show starts, then he'll get out. <laughs> it's great for ratings. It's promotional. You know what? I was actually, and I don't want to make an announcement, but I've I've been contemplating a run. For? President. Okay. I mean, I'm not saying I'm going to run. I'm just saying. Of what? Like your homeowners association? No, no, or? no. President of the United States. Oh, wow. I'm not, I'm not saying anything. I'm not saying I will. I'm not saying I'm not. Have you formed a committee to explore the possibility of? Uh, James, take a note here. Okay. Um, we've got to get a note. Um, mm-hmm. Please, uh, write, just write down, uh, begin formation talks for mm-hmm. committee formation to decide if I will be running for president. Okay. Um, just uh, mm-hmm. um, we might want to reconsider the name of that committee. The committee – let's just call it the Committee for the Formulation of Committee Options to Run for President. That's committee. a much better name. Wow. Make, it, make a t-shirt Can out you of that. read back that committee name for me? I just want to make sure that we, this sounds right. The Committee of the Committee to Decide uh, with the Presidential Race. Perfect. That was That's paraphrasing the one. it. That's what I want. Yeah. So uh, just keep that note because okay. I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm forming a committee and I'm mainly doing it for ratings. But I don't want that out there. Yeah, it you're w- not supposed to say that. It will give you national exposure. Oh, it would give me a lot of exposure. You, you'd also, you probably would have to step down from the show or step away. Really? Yeah. On a semi – Just for a while. Temporary – can you do semi-temporary? Yes, yes. semi-temporary. And then at that permanent, point, permanent temporary. If you win, then you step away from the show, obviously. Yeah. But if you don't win, you could come back. It's like if you're in Congress. Uh, James, take a note. Uh, okay. Just a little mental note. Didn't need to check laws to see if I could still do my show. Uh, contractually, I'm obligated. So maybe running for president won't be able to happen this time. Maybe a presidential radio show would be kind of cool. The president mm-hmm. has a podcast. He, yeah, put, he puts he out his his weekly address in the form of a podcast. Wouldn't that be great if, like, hey, everybody, welcome to the presidentship. <laughs> President Matt Townsend here. So good to be with you. Anyway, uh, I'm exploring it. I'm leaving all my options open, and I will do uh, what is convenient. It wouldn't be very difficult to choose what music you would run on the show. No, I totally know what music I would run. What music would you run? I would run, um, if I'm a presidential candidate, I would run Send in the Clowns. Right? That's an old Johnny Carson joke. Absolutely. Uh, I would probably run a little Bon Jovi because Bon Jovi means president in like, I think, Italian. Okay. It means good Jovi, which is good president. <laughs> bon Jovi. In other news, yes, you, you have been on both sides of this argument on whether you want an Apple Watch or whether you yeah. don't want yeah, an Apple I've Watch. I've decided I don't. There's a company, Unless they're giving them away. There's a company called Lumoid, L-U-M-O-I-D. Lumoid. They are a startup, of course, because mm-hmm. that's how this works. 
Uh, they will be renting out Apple Watches for $45 as a way to give consumers an opportunity to try out the pricey device before making the purchase. So you can basically rent – you can rent to own. You could rent to see if you like it. Right. Well, actually, it is rent to own. It is. So you would just keep it. You'd keep the one you're Part borrowed. of your $45 is a non-refundable down payment towards a possible purchase down the road if you decide to keep the model you're using. Interesting. Now, they'll offer the Sport, which is the 350 Yeah. And then they'll offer the next level, which is called the Apple Watch, which is about the $500. They will not offer the $10,000. Uh, so that's the one I'd want to try. Yeah. That's what they kind of figured, so they're not going to do that. That's a bummer. Yeah. Well, you know what? I just figure in about six months, there'll be a lot of them for sale. Or you'll know somebody and you can play with theirs for yeah. a minute. Yeah. Like you say, people just throw these things in the drawer later. Yeah. I have five watches that are in the drawer and about 10 that don't have batteries that I can't use. So, uh, you know. It'll be in a drawer. You'll find one. I'll find one. It's not a big deal. Next to all the rubber bands. Well, that's good. See, so uh, so now just based on the news, I'm probably going to rent a, a Mac or an Apple Watch and I may be running for president. This is a big day. It's a big day. But I didn't make an announcement. I'm leaving my options open. You're exploring. I'm, I have an exploratory committee. There you go. Uh, for with a rent to own option in presidential running, it's like a couch but different. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> Very concise. We're going to take a break, my friends. Again, so much more of the show. Remember, tools, ideas, real life solutions to help you deal with your life. We'll be right back, taking it all on right here on the Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM One Forty Three BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, on this show, we have talked a lot about the Apple Watch coming out. You kind of know my feelings on that. First I wanted it, then I didn't, then I do, then I don't. But there's part of the watch uh, that is, it just intrigues me, because I think it's going to end up changing a lot of our lives, and I've, I've already seen it. It's, it's an interesting thing that's just basically the health tracking functions that that we have on these wearable kind of smart devices that everyone's starting to wear. I don't know if you know this, but it is about a um, two $2.2 billion industry last year for all of these wearable devices. They're thinking it'll be about $4.5 billion this year. People putting on, you may have seen, there, there's different names, the Jawbone or the Fitbit, all of these different tools that you can use to track um, Everything you're doing in your life, as far as your health, your how, how much sleep you're getting, some of them go that far. Some actually can take your pulse, respiration, stuff like that. It's crazy what's going on. But here's the deal. I didn't think – I just thought it was just a bunch of you know, you know, health nuts out there doing it. And then one day I went and uh, did a little just presentation, a speech for a friend of mine that's a great doctor, and everybody in his – office, they were all wearing these fits, these little bracelets. And then it hit me. Holy cow. Even the doctors are actually using them in their offices. I've done some more research, and we're going to talk about it today. I brought on a good friend, Dr. David Myers, who is a dermatologist. Uh, He runs Utah Valley Dermatology, 
also graduated from medical college, medical school at Wisconsin, and um, is a dermatology lecturer and attending physician for the Utah Valley Regional Medical Center Family Medicine Program. And more importantly than that, he is using the Fitbit and also getting his team motivated. Dr. David Myers, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thanks for having me, Matt. Great to have you on board. Now, when I came and spoke, everybody is sporting a Fitbit. What is the deal? Have you just become, you know, are you just a groupie now? Well, uh, I mean, it started as, you know, at one point we would have a box of donuts at the back table every day, and I thought, these are delicious. And after uh, my first thought was, let's give fruit and donuts. But the problem is we would just reach for the donuts and not reach for the fruit. Right. So it just kind of evolved, and I thought, hey, we got to be more healthy here. And I'm not getting any younger. I'm in my <laughs> late 30s, and I'm not, uh, you, you know, I, uh, I, I'm i feeling it, Matt. So uh, yeah. so, so I heard that, you know, I, I've heard of these wearable technologies, and we tried it. So we got one of these new one of these new ones. We happen to go with Fitbit, which I know they own like 60% of the share of yeah. these wearable of these wearable devices. And the other ones are like the Surge and the and the Pebble and you know coming down the pike is the is the iWatch. Yeah. But it it's it's kind of been a and then we started this wellness program. So But you've got you've got everybody on the team you you bought one for every person on the team. How many how how many did you buy? I bought <laughs> about twenty five. Wow, twenty five at about I'm guessing a hundred bucks a head, hundred and twenty. Yeah, these ones are a hundred and fifty. Hundred and fifty. See, you really care about your your people. You don't want them dying on you, do you? No, we've been doing good. I, you know, if we can just, I thought, hey, we're into technology. I mean, we all have our phones, yeah. we have smartphones, we have our iPhones, and this is the new rage, the new craze. So I thought. You know, let's try it. And I bought a bunch around Christmas, and they took like two months to ship because <laughs> yeah. the, the rest of the world's been thinking the same thing. Right? They showed up. So, so, you, so, what are you tracking in your on your team, and and what are you noticing just because we're tracking it? So it was a vo- voluntary thing. You know, there's no. I, I I read this book once called Drive, and it basically showed that. You know, reward extrinsic versus intrinsic motivation. In intrinsic motivation, we you get more out of it. You people enjoy it more. Versus, hey, I'll give you a hundred bucks right. you know, if you do ten thousand steps per day for two weeks. So we just said, hey, if you want to do it, you can do it. And of course, everybody signed up because they're like, sweet, we get this. You know, wearable track. You know, wearable uh, monitor. Monitor. So what are we tracking? We're tracking steps. Um, we're tracking, and, and it's just a voluntary thing. They submit their their wellness sheet every week. But I, basically, we had someone in the office who's who's into it, and she created this whole, you know, this whole <laughs> option to track it. So steps. Yeah. Um, let's see, uh, uh, fruits. You know, five. We need it. We're supposed to have five fruits and vegetables per day. Um, activity. If you're doing more than thirty. 30 minutes of, of, you know, anything, a brisk walk or more per day. Hmm. And, and then we had like an optional activity if you wanted to choose to get rid of one thing, be it soda or caffeine or donuts or whatever they want. And so 
that's it. And then just see how people do. And the the interesting thing is when we've measured it, people, you know, they do more. So when you measure things, you end up a lot of times improving what you're doing. You I've I've seen that myself. When I do it, I'm like, you know, this is great. I, I can't believe that I actually walked 1.2 miles, you know, in a morning. Right. Heck, I can do more by walking during lunch. So. Well, I, I remember when I was there, you were disappointed. I mean, it was just about noon or whatever, and you were disappointed because <laughs> you only had like 2,800 steps so far. Yeah, so I just started walking in place, Matt. Yeah, is that what you did? Put up and down. It's funny because I had no idea how many steps I had taken. I thought it felt like 10,000, but I bet it was like 30. Yeah. Uh, you. Yeah. One of the things I noticed, and this is, uh, it's interesting because you're a doctor's office. Do you notice not only are they kind of exceeding their own numbers and expectations, what do you notice it, that it does to the culture of your organization? So to me, that's the huge thing is, one, we think about it more because, yeah. hey, how many flights of steps are we taking? You know, this isn't good for me to, you know, eat a pound cake or, <laughs> you know, snack all day, eat some Cheetos. Right. And, and you're talking about it. So people are like, you know, there is ways to, in essence, share information so you can kind of challenge somebody if you want to. So like, you know, I shared it with my wife and so I can, she can kind of see what I went and I can see it. And it's yeah. not like, you know, you know, she hates me or I hate her because she got more steps. It's more of a, you know, I'm like, that's great. It's You've great. been able to do this. And it, so one, I think it gets us talking about it. Mm-hmm. I think it gets us thinking, uh, you know, about wellness. And a, a few things I've thought about, you know, since I was listening, another one is sleep. You know, sleep was also on the list because these things, you know, smartphones or whatever have the potential to just monitor sleep. Yeah. And I realized that's the one thing I've, I've checked. I'm like, you know, I went to bed early because I realized it's, I've just been thinking about my sleep, and thus when I think about it and monitor it, sometimes it's been getting better for me. So so really the key is that a lot of this is just it keeps it top of mind. I mean, like even sleep is such an interesting idea that something on your wrist can figure out how you're, how well you're sleeping. And all this technology is relatively new. We're just really on the cutting edge of it all. You can imagine in 10 years – what it'll be monitoring. It'll be monitoring your snoring. You were snoring for seven minutes last night. Exactly. Your wife will have the validation. Yeah, she's like, I've checked your Fitbit, and uh, you need to shut it down. <laughs> you know, or, I, I've got earplugs from from midnight to right. five because your deep sleep is driving me crazy. But it really is the, it's the future. Um, and, and I also like the culture idea that you're seeing because, too, to me it says – if a doctor or whoever is running the office is saying we're going to invest $150 in you if you want to participate to track care- your own health, that right there says enough. You know what I mean? It says they care. It says, you know, he's he's into me and more than just me working. Yeah. So, I mean, when it comes down to it, you know, I want I want a happy crew. I I mean – because the happier they are, the happier my life is. I mean, it's just like in your family or work or whatever. Right. Obviously, you want to work around people who are satisfied. And and they've shown in studies and, I mean, anecdotally in my own experience, that when you're 
you know, the, the better you feel about yourself, wellness, and all that wellness encompasses, stress relievers, you know, exercise. I mean, those are just part of it. But eating, you know, relationships, but the things that at least that, you know, we can control, you know, be it food or activity or, you know, stress within the office, if I can help at least those things or at least encourage them, you know, or give them tools, you know, I'm not doing anything at home to monitor or whatever, but if I can say, hey, I know these things will probably help you out. And one, so one, it benefits me because they all work in this office, but two, you know, it should be a good thing that I want. I want them to do well, or I want them to be, have wellness in their lives because, you know, it's, it's, because I'm friends with them. Yeah, basically. you care about and, these people. And, and and in the end, it also, though it, it helps me, but that's not the only motivation is that it helps me. It's because I want things to be a little bit better. And, you know, this isn't like, it doesn't run for you. And right. it doesn't like, uh, you know, you don't get out the, the green peppers or, you know, the, yeah. you know, you don't get out more fruit. But more kale. I, but you wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't have thought, hey, you know, don't go to McDonald's today, you know, again, yeah. for the third time today, you know, but at least I'm like, hey, this is one of the things I should be eating better so I can choose something different. Well, and that's, I think, what's interesting about it, too, is it's, it is contagious, and I think it changes the discussions like you're talking about. There there are other people that see similar results. There's an insurance company um, that actually is, they're paying their people Actually, they are handing out, I think, fits to their their customers. And if the fit, you know, if the fit fits, they're they're actually gonna. If you'll take it and start using it, they'll start giving you incentives for healthier activity. All you do is send in your your tracker information, and all of a sudden, now your insurance company is gonna say, "We're gonna give you some some benefits." I mean, you think about that. If you have a good driving record, they'll give you a discount. Why don't they give you a discount if you're healthier and you can show that you're you're being healthier? That's Oscar Insurance. They do that. So you're 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 thinking smart. That's good business sense. Um, let's do this. We're talking with Dr. David Myers, who is uh, helping uh, not just his team. He's raising everything on his team simply by tracking using one of these smart wearable devices. These health trackers. We're going to take a break. When we come back, I want to talk to him about the research that's starting to be done using the Apple Watch and and some of those things. When we come back, working on your health, my friends, right here on the Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we are talking about, you know, your tech and the power you might have on your wrist to be able to live a healthier life and actually track it. Track your sleep. All these health trackers, you've seen them, those fitness trackers, everybody's got one on their wrist. And the powerful thing about it, my friends, is it's the wave of the future. They're expecting it to be about a 53 billion dollar industry a year 
by 2019. It's taking off. And uh, one of the things that just came out in the release of Apple's new um, watch is the fact that there's going to be a research kit. And the research kit is so that uh, people that are doing medical studies can actually start to access some of the Apple users that want to volunteer and be a part of that. We wanted to talk about the power of this tool. We brought on a a great friend and expert, Dr. David Myers, who is a dermatologist. He graduated from uh, medical school at Medical College of Wisconsin. He's a dermatologist uh, here in Utah and is a dermatology lecturer and attending physician for the Utah Valley Regional Medical Center Family Medicine Program. He's also bought at least 25 Fitbits. Are they called Fitbits, Dave? Yeah, Fitbits. He's got 25 Fitbits for his crew, his staff, and uh, it's it's creating kind of a wave in his organization where health, they're becoming a little more health conscious. Uh, Dave, did you hear about the Apple Watch then and the research tool, the way that they can use it as a research tool? I did. I did hear about that. I mean, that's pretty cool. So you on the on the watch is some software, and it'll track a bunch of information. There's a research kit on it, and other researchers that want to access that tool can can get permission to do so. If you give permission to be part of the research, you can become. They can track you and get information about you, which is so valuable. Talk to us about why that is such a valuable kind of concept. Being able to access a bunch of, you know, iPhone or a bunch of Apple users. Why does that matter? So, I mean, so the traditional way to gain information from uh, patients or from people when they, you know, say they're coming out with a, a cholesterol medication or, a, you know, Parkinson's or diabetes or whatever, uh, uh, heart disease, you know, the traditional way is to have people in the local area come in, see the doctor, right. track data, you know, they get their blood pressure, they, you know, if it's Parkinson's, they test their signs and symptoms, their cognitive uh, abilities. This kind of is a new, you know, just it's, it's a new way to use technology as people start wearing these wearable um, or, uh, yeah, these wearable devices, basically, be it a iWatch or Fitbit or a smartphone or whatever, these can gather data. And what data can they gather? They can gather heartbeats. Hmm. They can gather how many steps you take. And you can gather, uh, you know, how many flights of stairs. And um, users can also, you and I, can enter in what we ate. And yeah. people, are, people are into it. And so you can take them on when you go job and you can show the elevation of your heart rate and and the the so research kit basically is an idea where and uh someone who designs an app can design one to get research information so for instance they partnered with like stanford and university of massachusetts and they're designing apps where you can sign up you have to go through um you know, and another important thing that we'll talk in a second is basically privacy, but you can, they can access the information that is recorded in HelpKit. HelpKit is another basically app that, um, that Apple and iPhone are launching 
that records this this person's data. So yeah. that's the concept behind it. And the, I guess the idea, too, is the audience is so much larger. I mean, a lot of these people can only get a small sample. A lot of times it's just those poor students on a university campus that they can gather this, the information from. This opens them up to a lot larger audiences so they can get, I guess, more diverse information and maybe over a longer period of time kind of longitudinal studies. Well, yeah, it's, you know, these these smartphones are basically, they are going to be the new, the hub of the future of medicine, basically. I mean, they're going to be like a health, uh, a medical dashboard, if yeah. you will, because you can have all your personal data, data that's saved during the day, you know, from your own health, and then that can be shared if you want it to with one of these studies, be it asthma or whatever. And yeah, so you could you could get a huge, a bunch of information um, from this, you know, for good or for bad. The, right. the big thing that I see is protecting the privacy. Now, the big thing that that they talked about was Apple will not see your data. And so basically when the data comes in, they supposedly scrub it. So what, what that means is so it doesn't, you know, it doesn't have your name. It doesn't have, it says you're a male between 35 and 30, you know, 40 or whatever. This is my weight, but it doesn't have, it can't be linked exactly mm. to you. You know, and they're going to, it's just in the beginning stages, they're going to have to make sure ethically that that other protections exist so that right. you give true informed consent, that you understand, that, you know, exactly what this, what this study is asking for. Um, you know, but... The potential's there. I think it's. I think it's power. I mean, there's always the downside too. I mean, the scary thing is, you know, the day that your insurance companies can access the same information, then they, you know, there could be discrimination or things like that as well. So, so that's kind of the security side needs to be dealt with. But then there's. It just seems like the upside of people with chronic issues. I mean, the phone. I mean, the phone itself had to have changed some business. I had a situation, Dave. I thought of you. We were down um, in St. George, which is a, a really warm climate here in Salt Lake. It's southern Utah, and uh, w- my son was getting out of the pool, and I found a mole on his behind his ear, and I thought, "Wow, that looks weird." And pull out my phone. You know, normally we'd go make an appointment, go show the dermatologist. Pull out mm-hmm. my phone, took a picture of it, sent it to my my brother-in-law, who's a doctor, and he's like, "Yeah," and gave me his little diagnosis and. Said, I wouldn't worry about it, but you might want to do this and this. Anyway, what happens all of a sudden when our iPhones can help us, you know, detect certain cancers or even the iPhone and or the watch can start to manage our health care, tell us, you know, give us a, a better update of what our pulse rate is, our heart rate. I mean, there's a lot of these now that have a even a more advanced heart monitor. There's a lot of interesting stuff coming down the pike. I think I think it's massive. I think it's basically going to empower patients, and you know, not only can we we can basically get information so much better, but you know, this can at least with me when a patient comes in, I I encourage them to learn more about eczema or learn about skin cancer. And you know, before they were just basically twenty thirty years ago, a patient is kind of dependent on what you say. And during that small visit, and that's all they get because right. they really don't have a medical textbook. Now they can find out a truckload about, you know, basal cell carcinoma or 
or molluscum or warts or, you know, different moles. And, you know, again, for good, you know, you, my, my job is going to be to basically guide a patient to, it, you know, to get the most out of our visit, to guide right. them to take care of this problem. And there is, you know, there is some excessive and crazy stuff that you can read, but if you go to legit sites and get good stuff, explosion of information, it, it, the potential is, is there, and it's huge. Where, where would you suggest, what are some good sites that the listeners could trust to go to to, to have some pretty basic medical questions answered? Well, I mean, uh, I, I hate that I'm recommending WebMD, but, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's better than some things, yeah. or it's better than many things. Well, sure. The Mayo, the Mayo Clinic's got great stuff, University of Utah, I mean, you know, uh, going to sites called "You Should Not Use Accutane," you know, because yeah. it causes this. dot com is not legit. But um, the bigger uh, organizations are great, and I go to eMedicine a lot. That's a little bit more technical, but eMedicine is excellent. Hmm. Um, you know, Wikipedia is actually a fantastic database, and it's not perfect. Right. Um, but I'd say for the most part, it's pretty good. And again, I'm sure everybody's not going to put all their marbles in one little comment. Right. But um, but I think that's a good start. That's great. We have about, uh, about 30, 40 seconds. Tell us, Dave, as we wrap this up, what – what what would you say is kind of the one thing if if we if someone was going to go out and buy one of these you know devices get it on their wrist what what advice would you give them just as a physician to to have a good start and make sure it's a good experience that creates health yeah i mean uh i think just going out there and getting one obviously i assume person or the person's going to put some research into it and if they start by counting their steps you know, if that's what helps, exercising or at least doing something active for 30 minutes a day and just thinking about it. I mean, we are a sedentary population. So going anything improvement, it, even if you don't do the 30, hey, do five, do 10, you know, but any improvement, any thinking about it, um, I think is, is a, a great step in the right direction. No, I think you're right on. And and I love the conversation idea just to get focused on it, get talking about it. Dr. David Myers, so appreciate you. Again, you can go find his website, uvderm.com, uvderm.com. And um, just, it's good. I mean, he's already on the deal. Who goes and buys 25 Fitbits? Amazing stuff, amazing stuff. We're going to take a break. My friends, come back again, giving you the tools you need to find the good life, to make a good life, right here on The Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. We're wrapping it up. Hour number two is the last segment of hour number two. And as always, we want to keep you informed, up to date with what's going on in the world. There's got to be something happening out there. Do you like movies? Love them. Johnny Depp? 
Yes. He's uh, currently working on the fifth installment of Pirates of the Caribbean, or Pirates of the Caribbean, depending on how you want to phrase that. Or Caribbean. Caribbean. That's interesting. Five. Uh, so I don't know that I've seen three and four. I don't know if I have either. Huh. Mainly because when I watched one, two, and three, it was kind of the same sort of theme. They were enjoyable, yeah. but... I get tired of the word, the letter R. 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 I was like, what are you talking about? I oh, get pirates. Tired of it. Pirates, they are. Yeah, I, 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 okay, that, that just clued me in. I've got to go watch the others before this now, one comes out. Is they're this, entertaining. When's it going to be out? Um, I'm not sure. Okay. As they're filming it, you're yeah. probably looking at later. A couple of years, probably. I don't know. He, 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 the reason it's, it's become a story is he was injured. Really? He hurt his leg. His leg? But they said it's minor. A minor leg issue. Yeah. As, as they're filming the new James Bond movie, Daniel Craig. Injured. Really? Injured his leg. Daniel Craig? Yes. Who's that? It's the new James Bond. Oh, I thought we were talking about Pirates. I know. I switched movies on you there. Oh. So but so here we have two movies. When they were filming Star Wars, Harrison Ford had a piece of the Millennium Falcon drop on him. He injured his leg. This is interesting. Bit of a trend going on here. Movies I want to see, possibly. Injured And people legs. getting hurt. Uh, plus Harrison Ford's jump, dropping out of airplane. I mean, dropping out of the sky. But that's not going to affect any any movie I want to see. Why? Because he, I don't believe he's going to be in any more Star Wars movies. He's kind of old. No, but they're I mean, going Harrison with a younger Ford, generation. I mean, he's iconic. Wait, are so are you saying that Harrison Ford is his character is going to die in Star Wars Seven? No, I think they'll just let Han Solo just sort of go. This is boring because. One, I think, what are we one, I think about? one of the new characters is one of his kids. Oh yeah, because the force is inherited, so you just you have to have a generational thing. So Leia, and it's one of Han Harrison's Solo. Ford's. Kids? No, Han Solo and Princess Leia. Stay with us, Matt. What are you doing? This is so not my wheelhouse. It got really nerdy all of a sudden. In here. <laughs> <laughs> hey, welcome back to Nerdfest 2015. Other movie news. Yes, and I just lost the story. There it is. Disney. Yeah is making a live-action Dumbo movie. Hold on. A live-flying elephant. <laughs> yes. Okay. This is the part that hung me. Well, many there's many parts to this, so yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll okay. break them so, down so individually. Work it through. Now, by the way, because they've got all these ringling brother elephant, brother Barnum and Bailey circus people, elephants that are being freed. Maybe they'll be involved. Somewhere in there is their actual name, yes. They are in... <laughs> <laughs> I don't <laughs> Those... know which... Ones they were. Those elephants are there. But a live-action Dumbo would be kind of difficult seeing as you're dealing with a flying elephant. Yeah. Plus, you're going to have to have ear prosthetics. Yes. For the poor guy. Got to have the big floppy ears so you make fun of them. Mm Mm-hmm. So So I'm going to guess there's CG involved, but... No. I'm going out on a limb. Now, Disney has done... They have Cinderella's coming out, right? Yeah. They just did um, Maleficent. Who? Maleficent, hmm? the evil witch in the Sleeping Beauty movies, and they made a ton of money off that. That kind of slurred. Yeah, Maleficent. Maleficent. I, can't, I yeah. cannot I say that. Mal- name. Mal- Malefic- Maleficent. 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 It, whatever. You Isn't know. that James's wife's name? Fiance's name? Maleficent. Is that her name, James? No, not Maleficent. Okay. So there, there's this trend of them taking their classic cartoons, making them in live action. They're looking to make Dumbo. The script is finished. They hired Tim Burton uh-huh. to be the director. 
He's creepy. He's Not kinda, him personally, but his movies. His movies little, are kind of yeah, a little dark, kind of out there. So dark Dumbo, <laughs> apparently live action. The guy that wrote the the script is the guy that wrote the last three Transformers uh, oh, scripts. See, this is going to be incredible. So <laughs> the real news here is this that the is... last three Transformers movies yeah. had a script. Oh wow! Because if you watch them, they did. It's just one scene to another of robots destroying things. Yeah. But just, somehow there was a plan when they put this together with the sound, but with some all, dialogue all, no. and character development. It maybe just, no. All the script said was make a loud mechanical noise here. <laughs> yeah, it was all uh, sound effects. Oh, close the mechanical noise. Oh, loud mechanical explosions. Noise. Explosion. So Tim Burton, yeah, who I, I think did the Nightmare Before Christmas. Is that correct? Yeah. And then he did the Michael Keaton Batman movies. Yes. He's making Dumbo. Interesting. With the guy who wrote the script for a Transformers movie. This is going to be edgy. <laughs> this is going to be edgy. Dumbledore. Well, you remember how terrifying the the uh, Pink Elements, uh, Elephants segment was in right. that uh, movie? I still think of that. Man, when he was... in the future with Tim Burton and Transformers, it's going to be horrific. Yeah. It's going to be terrifying. I asked my wife last night. She's a big fan of Dumbo. We have the DVD <laughs> because she's a fan. She is so a Dumbo fan. I asked her, are you ready to watch Dumbo get abused and watch his mom die again in live action? Oh, see, the, the abuse of Dumbo and the mom death will be probably highlighted. And then my next question was, if they continue in this trend, is Bambi next? Mm. And then we get to watch the mother die? I mean, I... Are we going to watch deer murdered? Yeah. I still am trying to figure out how you're going to teach Dumbo an elephant to fly. Like I said, I think computers will be involved. Okay, so you're going to then just put him up on a green screen and just have to yeah. cinch up this elephant <laughs> that... and lift it up into the air. Are we going to have an elephant in one of those black jumpsuits yeah, with the with white dots on it? it. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. <laughs> well, I've seen an el- uh, a house fly and I've seen a horse fly. Right. So No, these are different. I could see an elephant fly. No, no, these aren't flies. The, we're talking about the elephant is actually going to f- flap its ears and fly. Like an actual elephant? Well, yeah. he'll be holding okay. a feather, so. So that makes sense. That's true. You know, that's interesting news. Um, wow, it's almost like they're scraping the bottom of the barrel. Yes. I mean, you'd think you'd just go create a new incredible story like Dumbo. but Or you could just keep. But I, the other side of it, they're, they're able to reintroduce the story yeah. to a whole new generation, but also bring in the generation that's seen the cartoon mm-hmm. to watch a new version of the same thing, but in a live, you know, I mean, it's, you're bringing in the old audience and the new audience and I'll guarantee you one thing. making rides at theme parks and t-shirts. Oh, there you and, go. That yeah. you just hit it. It's so, all marketing. So at the very end of the movie, I will guarantee it will say no elephants were harmed in the making of this movie. I'll guarantee that will happen. Do you know what the real pull is, though, with these movies? What? Is, which we're, what they're doing for Cinderella is a new episode of Frozen, a new little short. Right. So maybe uh, for each of these subsequent movies, another little thing of Frozen. Interesting. Perpetuate that, that yeah. movie. Well, you can't, you can't get enough Frozen. No. no yes, you, can. you can. Well, no. <laughs> Isn't that I, – I didn't think about it. It really is about selling more products, more merchandise, and having a ride at Disneyland. I went to Disneyland last summer. They were not prepared for how popular Frozen was. Really? Frozen, the only presence in the park, they took over a restaurant as a meet and greet place for mm-hmm. Elsa and the princesses and stuff. That was the only place that you could go to find something in the theme park 
that had something with Frozen attached to it. Hmm. And then they had all the t- well for you know, this year. Well, this year and you know next year. Next year be, they'll maybe there'll be an Elsa ride. Knock down it's a small world yeah. and make it Frozen. Who knows? Hey, get rid of the one we've been using for fifty years. It almost caught on fire the other day. Did it? There was a fire and some trees behind it. Some construction works going on. Which part of the world was it? it I'm not sure. I only went on that once when I was a little kid. It that's was closed great. when we were there. It's great. Yeah. It's just they keep playing the song though. That's but again that's like let it go. They just keep playing it and playing it. Playing it. Anyway. Uh, Hour number two. In the box. Put it away, my friends. Thanks for joining us. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. More fun, more ideas, more insight right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the third hour of what we call the good life. Doing what we can on the show to help you find your good life. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's never easy to find the good life when you're wondering, is their life better than my life? I know you don't think that way. James does. Don't you, James? Yeah. It doesn't get much better than this. You've got the good life. I mean, how many guys, how many college students are afforded the privilege of being in such an exciting environment all day, every day? One. Just me. Just you. I did it. Okay, that's When I was in college. You were on the Matt Townsend show? No, I was on a different show, but enough said. I was dabbling in radio. Dabbling. We don't dabble here. Yeah, I know. I dabbled because I had a real job. Oh, wow. <sighs> you can't really say this compares to a lot of other jobs. What do you mean? This this this, 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 this is a job. It's a job. There's there's effort. There's planning. There's execution. It's there's pretty... all that. But you compare it to other jobs, and other jobs are kind of boring, and other yeah. jobs are really difficult. It's because we don't sweat here. Right. If we were sweating. Well, there's lots of jobs where you don't sweat, but they're, they're very difficult jobs to accomplish. Yeah. And then so you get into a social situation. They're talking about all the difficult stuff they do. And then you talk about radio. Yeah, I, I have a radio show. And, that's then, how I, I, I and at first show. everyone's intrigued. It's like, wow, radio. That's great. Got a radio show. And then you explain what you do all day. And they're like, oh. Is that a job? They pay you? What's they say, going on? Yeah, they say rude stuff like that. That's why you embellish it. A lot well, of explosions. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's action. It's adventure. Yeah, don't don't explain that those are just sound effects, but there are a lot of explosions. It's happening. They rebuild the broadcast building daily. It's great. <laughs> it's sad. <laughs> but we do more than just a radio show. We also inform. We educate. Have you traveled to New York? Yes. R- have you ridden in a cab? Yeah. And your experience? Uh, Near-death experience. Okay. Due to driver shortages and higher exam failure rates, the New York City Taxi and Limousine Commission has revised its exam to include less questions that required local knowledge, making getting to the green light and a drive to the yellow cab easier than ever. So in other words, they're lowering the standards for cabbies. They are? Lowering the standards. Lowering lower than what? Than what they were. I thought they were low. 
because it says they have revised the exam to make it easier and they have okay. excluded questions that require local knowledge. That they're trying to broaden the opportunity. Let's that, say it that way. Is that what it is? You don't want to say they're, they're not, lowering not the Not lowering the bar? They're just broadening the potential candidates. The cab license test has 80 questions. <laughs> it used to hinge on local geography because if you're going to be yeah. a taxi cab driver, you got to know where to Do go, you know right? where the Bronx is? Yeah. Now there are 10 remaining geographic questions which focus on navigating around the city with a map. Wow. According to the New York Times, since the exam's re- revision, pass rates have risen 20%. Well, sure. It's all in how you write the test. Now, I imagine there's a lot of GPS-type sure, technology on. being used. Well, it seems like what you should be testing is, uh, can you be multilingual? Because that's you're going to have a lot of clients Absolutely. that are multilingual. Do you have the ability to stop on a dime? Instead of running over the bicycle deliverer guy. Yes. Do you have the ability to uh, move other vehicles using your voice? Or bumper. Or bumper. <laughs> Just push them out of the way. Yeah. I mean, that seems like the test that they need. Yeah. I don't know that this is a good idea. No. Especially the the geographic limiting uh, questions where they're, we don't really want to pay attention to the fact of how to get to where you need to go. Right. You probably have a GPS for that. It's it's like they also need to have, do you have the ability to wash off the beads on your seat uh, cushion? You know those seat cushions that yes. they have? Oh, those look so comfortable. So if you're going to sit there all day, you want a beaded seat cushion so you can rub up and down and get your back fixed. Have you heard of the Internet of Things? Uh, I've heard of the interweb. The Internet of Things is a term okay. that has to do with uh, more and more of our products that we use in our homes and offices being connected to the Internet oh, via yes. Wi-Fi. That. Was that on the Apple presentation? I think I heard that somewhere. That was probably a term they used. Mm-hmm. The it's... Internet of Things because now your house and your car are all connected. Right. So, yeah. I mean, there's door, no- door locks now that mm-hmm. you can use your phone and unlock it because it's all connected on Wi-Fi. You know, I can actually get a drink from the fridge just by texting my son. Well, there's that. That's different. Oh, is that different? Because that's, that's more, the Internet of Things. That's more your son. Like, son, get up and get dad a drink. you a beverage rather than maybe the fridge getting you a beverage. That's, uh, oh, that's so, true. The whole, but home appliances connected to the internet, you can send notifications, energy usage, stats, that kind of thing is what this is all about. One problem, though, many of these internet-connected devices don't have any malware protection. Mm. A security company is discovered in a cyber attack whereby the attacker hijacked devices remotely to send spam, incorporating <laughs> over 100,000 devices, including routers, multimedia centers, televisions, and at least one refrigerator. So let me get this straight. I mean, I'm slow technologically. But so what's happening is they can now hack my fridge. And now I have – so I could go to my fridge and let's say my fridge could now uh, call me names and tell me, hey, jerk, you're fat. (laughs) You're going to eat that cheese, tubby? So so your fridge is going to start shaming you is what Uh, you think. Great. It's just what we need, yeah. a mouthy fridge. So whoever this was hijacked a fridge and 100,000 other items well, and it, were able to uh, use them to send email to people. Oh, through my fridge. Through your fridge because it's connected to the web. There's a yeah. computer on it. They this email brought with, to you by Matt Townsend's fridge. <laughs> they messed with the software. 
And it says uh, it's the first documented case of common appliances being used in a cyber attack. The attack sent 750,000 spam emails, some of those, of course, from Fridge. Um, I'd be mad. If I started getting spammed from someone's fridge, <laughs> I'd be ticked. I mean, that. But uh, that's where this comes from. The fridge idea, I've heard, like, you tell it you have a gallon of milk in there, yeah. and then it can tell yeah. maybe because the... Yeah, the different uh, uh, levels on there have some weight sensors that can tell how much milk you have in there, and it'll tell you when you need to go get more milk, or it'll put it on an automated yeah. shopping list for you. Well, see, that's so. where it's going to bug you because when you know your Amazon uh, shopping company shows up and you have forty gallons of milk, yeah, someone's yeah. hacked your fridge. Yeah, someone's going to be drinking a lot of milk. <laughs> Interesting. Okay, so, so that's that- that's hey, that's something you can worry about. Think of how we're going to start worrying about our fridges being hacked. Oh, crockpots, tea uh, kettles. Oh, by the way. Vacuum cleaners. Nothing worse than a rogue crockpot. A rogue crockpot. You do not let your crockpot get out of hand. That's a crock. Leprosy Pot. cases are on the rise in Florida. I know. I, that is crazy. Three people have been diagnosed with leprosy in uh Valusa County, Florida, over the last five months, two of whom got the disease after coming into contact with armadillos. Oh, boy. Health officials say officials say three cases is an unusually high number for the rare disease. Typically, about 150 to 250 new cases of the bacterial disease are reported nationwide ah, each year. Are you kidding? Yeah. It's this crazy. crazy. Man, I thought a rogue crockpot was bad. A rogue armadillo? <laughs> and you get leprosy? Sheesh. This world coming to. We're going to take a break, my friends. When we come back, I'm going to take on uh, in the coach's corner a simple idea about resolving regret. If you have regrets, you just you just got to get rid of. You just got to take care of ah things you just wish you had done better. We'll talk about that up next, right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, on the show, we always try to make sure that we we give you real-life ideas and solutions. It's one thing to just kind of talk about the high and the mighty, but some of us, you know, just we need a lot of help. I feel that day in, day out. And one of the things I've been thinking a lot about, um, especially I've had a lot of clients recently where they, they just seem to have regret, a lot of regret from their life. They, they wish they hadn't made certain decisions, even decisions that were many, many years ago. They can't seem to get over it. And the problem with it is, you know, once you can't get over the regret, you just keep carrying it and carrying it and carrying it. There was a really interesting story I once heard about um, two monks. And the monks were walking down the side of a river. And uh, when they when they were walking, they all of a sudden they found they came upon a woman who was crying and she was upset and worried, and um, they said, "What's you know?" They're, they're talking to her, and she, they could see that her baby was on the other side of the river, and somehow the baby had gotten to one side, and this woman was on the other side of the river, and she was pointing and pleading with these monks to go get her baby. Now they had taken a vow of silence, right? So they didn't, they weren't, you know, they weren't supposed to talk. And one of the monks turns to the woman. 
and says, is that your child? Do you need help? How can I help you? By the way, breaking this vow of silence. And the other monk looked at him like, no way, did you just do that? I can't believe you broke that vow of silence. And um, she's like, yes, please take me to my baby. Take me to my baby. So the monk immediately goes over, asks her um, if he could lift her up, and he picks her up, carries this woman across the river. By the way, picking her up broke another vow he had made of chastity. He wasn't supposed to touch a woman. And he touched this woman, carried her across the river, set her down on the other side next to her river, uh, next to her baby. She was so grateful, so appreciative. And uh, he just walked back over through the river and then um, was back there with the other monk. And they just started walking up the, up the side of the river. And they walked and they walked and they walked. And about an hour later, the other monk could not take it anymore because he could not believe that a monk would just throw away these two vows. And he angrily said to the monk, I cannot believe you just picked up that woman. I can't believe that and broke your vow. And and, and then, by the way, by doing so, he broke his vow of silence, right? And um, the monk just looked at him and shook his head. And he told the young monk, he said, look, uh, I picked up that woman and I carried her across the, the river and I set her down. And then I crossed and then we walked here for an hour. He said, but my friend, you have carried that woman all the way here because he couldn't let it go. And I have a, an idea or a suspicion that many of us just can't let stuff go. And when we can't let it go and it's about someone else, that's a grudge, right? That's us holding a grudge against someone or not forgiving them, or not letting it go. But what do we call it when we hold it against ourselves and we can't get over something we've done and we don't know how to resolve or end that regret that we have? It's the same problem, folks. So whether we have the problem and let it go and move on or whether we carry it with us, it's pretty much up to us. So what I wanted to do was make sure we we take some time on the show to focus on how we end up Uh, letting go of some of our regrets. You know, to feel sad, it's important. To feel repentant, it's important. Or disappointed, that's, you know, that's that's fine. That is what regret is. Sadness, you know, a need to repent, disappointment. It has value. The problem is it loses its value when you only live out of sadness, you only live out of uh, the fact that you've sinned or done something wrong, or you're constantly disappointed with yourself. At some point, when your life is filled with all of that, Guess what? You're missing opportunities to feel happiness, to feel reconciliation, right? To feel peace. So here's some things that uh, you might be struggling with. And some of you are like, I don't have any regrets. I don't know what it is. I must not. That's great. Just enjoy that. I don't know how long that will last for you, but that's some don't have regrets. Some just can move on a lot easier than others. Some of the things we might regret, though, by the way, are, are like we don't maybe spend enough quality time with our spouse or our children. You might regret that you went off on one of your kids and just, you know, got really mad. You might regret that you're not doing your job well enough, that you didn't, that you may have forgotten a friend's birthday. Uh, you might regret something, you know, somebody that passed away that you didn't spend enough time with. Um, you might just regret a party you went to or something you did that, you know, was just not aligned to your values. So let's talk about uh, basically three, four tools that we all can use 
to heal our regrets. First rule, I say, we've got to make sure we're healing the regret. We heal it and we don't just feel it. I think a lot of people think that if we just have a regret for something we've done, if I just feel bad, we think that I guess that's equal to changing it, right? But it's not enough to just feel bad for something you've done. Feeling bad doesn't necessarily go away just because you felt it. You have to remember that your brain might be creating some of these feelings, right? A lot of feelings come from our thinking. But if we just keep feeling that thought, especially if you can't let certain regrets go and they keep coming back and back and back, it might simply be you haven't healed them, meaning you haven't done anything with the promptings or uh, the, the changes. You haven't made the changes you need to make to actually release the emotion or the feeling. It's not enough to just be sad that you weren't, you know, an attentive enough parent when your kids were younger and now they're older. You can be sad all you want or you can actually heal the regret by doing something different. And one of the ways you know that this is happening is if you get really caught up in could'ves and would'ves and should'ves, all these things you could have been doing or you should have been doing, and oh, if I would have just done this, those those are all problematic because those are all concepts that aren't rooted in the present right? I could have done it. I would have. I should have. Those are all things that are possibilities, potentialities. They're just not presents. So our goal with our feelings of regret, let's quit just feeling them. Let's actually heal them by by taking their regret and doing something with it. For example, let's remember that the feeling is there to teach you a lesson. If we constantly have a feeling that we should treat our kids better, that feeling is telling you something. Feeling regret for it once, okay, makes sense. Feeling regret for it every day and still not doing something different, not going to help you. So we want to actually take the lesson out of the regret. We want to extract that lesson. What is this emotion or feeling teaching me? I'm a big believer that our feelings are there to teach you. They're there to guide you. They're there to make sure you're not getting, you're not going to get hurt or crunched, or miss an opportunity. Feelings are important, and yet feelings without the lesson behind it aren't helping you. So one of the rules is let's, instead of just feeling these emotions, let's start figuring out what it's teaching us. If I feel guilt after, you know, getting angry with my child, a daughter, let's say, if I feel guilt about it, if I, if it keeps coming up and I keep thinking, I'm such a bad dad, ah, what is the lesson teaching me? Well, be a better dad, kind of, but it's also teaching me maybe something that I could do right now, right? So failure to acknowledge the real lesson now is causing the regret of your future. It will just keep perpetuating it. So what can I do today to turn this feeling, this regret into something healthier for my future? That's a great question I would ask myself. It's a reflective question. When I feel an emotion, I just ask myself, what can I do today with this emotion to turn it into something healthier for tomorrow? So instead of just being sad that I was a bad dad, what can I do today to deal with that regret? And I might have my conscience might prompt something like, you know what? You need to, you need to go call her. You need to go apologize. And if I call her and I apologize, guess what I'm going to feel? better. And you know why I'll feel better? No, it's going to be awkward because I'm going to have to face the fact that I'm a bad person. 
but you're not a bad person because I just followed a prompting to go call my daughter and apologize. Isn't that wild? So then all of a sudden I can go do something. And when I go do it, amazing things happen. That's how we change feelings is by doing what the feeling is telling us to do. My feeling is not wanting me to just feel horrible. My feeling is wanting me to change. And when I go change, healing takes place. Boom. See how that works? The healing takes place. It's not perfect. And I don't even believe there needs to be a perfect answer to it. The answer just simply needs to probably be, uh, what do I need to do? And it doesn't – I mean it might be I go, I go over there and I try to apologize to my daughter and she won't have it. But interestingly, she not having my apology and taking my apology, it doesn't necessarily mean I'm not – I'll still feel the regret. Because what will finally happen is I've now aligned myself to more character, to more integrity, which will probably dissipate some of that regret I have. And tomorrow we'll try it again. And we try it again. So one of the rules, very simply to remember, is feel the feeling, but don't just feel it. Use the feeling to go extract the lesson. What is this teaching me? And what is the most important thing I can do right now to turn the regret into something healthier, to become the change I need to become? Basic rule, right? We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to continue with the Coach's Corner, continue discussing regret and how to resolve the regret, how to get back the peace. Good stuff, my friends. couple more tools when you come back right here on the Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the Coach's Corner. Today, uh, I've been talking about regret. You know, if you live long enough, there's probably going to be something you will regret. And even if you don't, there's probably something you should regret. You just may not have noticed it. It's such a common uh, factor of our lives. I personally, you know, it beats you down, doesn't it? All of the, the guilt and the shame and the stuff that we feel when we, when we make mistakes in life, which is, remember, our purpose on this great big ball of mud is learning, growing, becoming a better person. I don't, uh, I don't teach the need to go become perfect. I don't think you need to be perfect. I think you need to be progressing. And progress, if you do it long enough, will turn into you know, something powerful. And progress is the goal. Honestly, uh, the regret, though, remember, as we talked about in the last, uh, before the last break, it's teaching us something. It's just an emotion. It's a feeling. It's there to help us become better. If we're not careful, though, our egos will use that to beat us down. And then over time, what we do is instead of using the emotion to change, and learn the lessons, what a lot of us do is we get into our story and we just tell a story. Now, one of my worries about a story, and everyone does it, right? So let's see, let me give you an example, okay? You may have an elderly person in your neighborhood, some of that you were close to, and they pass away suddenly, let's say. 
and you feel this immense regret because you didn't go over and visit as much as you should have. You know, you may have chosen a variety of other reasons. You've got reasons why you didn't. I call it, it's all logical. You know, you're busy, you're a busy person. Oh, so busy. But you still feel bad because you didn't go. You might even just go with shame. I'm a loser. I'm an, I am such a bad neighbor. I'm a bad human. I'm selfish. That's just kind of this throwing out the shame game. I can't do everything. You might become the victim. I'm just one person. I need more help from people around me, and we be, play the victim card. I can't be the only person in the neighborhood who, you know, who looks to visit all the older families. We start blaming everyone else. So notice, we, we're, we're going to make this into a story. If we're not learning from it, we're just going to turn it into a story. Now, my fear is this. The minute you take something that you didn't do very well and you turn it into a story, you're going to actually make your thought permanent as to why you did it, which means you're going to actually make regret permanent. If you have a story that makes it so you are not the blame or the cause of your own regret, then guess what? Your brain can't fix that. You're right. And so I have people all the time tell me, oh, I can't. So I'm just supposed to sit there and deal with a really rude spouse and and they blame their spouse or whatever. Well, no, you don't know. I mean, sure, I can get that you're a victim of your spouse. I get that. I mean, that could be there. The problem with it is you're just as victim then. At some point, we need to quit being the victim. Well, I know. That's why I want to leave him. Well, okay, you can leave him too. The downside again is you're still a co-contributor in your relationships with your partner. Now, if somebody's being physically abused, you're being abused. You need to get out of that. You can't do that. I'm talking more the day-to-day just misunderstandings and misguided relationship stuff that we've got going on. The minute you keep being a victim, like you, I've got it, you know, of course. I have no choices in my life because I had four kids, so now I'm stuck being a mom, can't go to work, can't, I mean, can't get a job, got to stay home. Once we're stuck and we play the victim or we pay, or we make someone else the villain of our life or we feel shame because we, we make it about me like I'm a loser, I'm no good, the minute that story is there, guess what? That's it. In the end, whatever story we end up telling about our regrets will determine if the regret will ever go away. If you tell a story that makes sure that you are not the owner of it, but someone else owns it, whether it's your schedule keeper, whether it's your life, whether it's your job, whether it's the fact that you have kids, whether it's your spouse. If that's the story you choose to tell, guess what? Then you get the fruits of that story. And the fruits of that story simply are you have no other power to fix this. So get used to regret. Get used to blaming people in your life. One of the reasons this is so important is I would rather, if we're going to tell a story, that we tell a story that doesn't justify the regret, but instead a story that kind of just is more whole, is more complete, but that it exposes my mistake and it kind of shows how I'm going to be on a different plane in the future. Here's an example. I've been feeling so bad since our neighbor passed away. So remember the neighbor? If I was a good neighbor, I would have been over visiting him. I kept feeling this sense that I should go visit it, and I didn't. So let's say I didn't, and this person passed away. What I would say instead of making my life the problem and everyone else the problem, I would say, you know what? I've been feeling so bad since our neighbor passed away. He was such a great friend of the family, and I regret not going over to visit him more. 
I had promptings. I had feelings that he, I needed to get over there and visit him, and I didn't follow my promptings or my feelings. I just didn't pay attention to it as I should have. Now, it's a different story, isn't it? But do you see how vulnerable that makes me? Because now it's like I blew it. But what's so powerful to that story in your brain is simply the idea that now I don't have to hold the shame anymore to keep the emotion alive. I've stated where I blew it. And I could then go forward with it and start saying, my goal in the future is to pay more attention to my promptings. My goal in my future is to to just see if I can't find a way to do what I feel in my heart is the best thing to do. Now, it's, it's such an interesting story, but it's not a story where anyone else is to blame but me. I am squarely in the center of my story. And my problem is squarely because I, and my regret is squarely because I didn't pay enough attention to it. And yet what's interesting about that is now that that's out, interestingly, now that I've said it, I don't feel worse because I've said it. I actually don't have to keep it a secret anymore that that's what I regret. Now my secret's out. I'm exposed. I was one of a billion, actually, I was one of 7.5 billion people on this earth that didn't pay attention to a prompting to go serve someone. And now it's no longer a secret. So I don't have to keep it quiet and I don't have to beat myself up for it. One of the reasons we regret it is because we've never told the healthier story. We've never let out the secret of why we feel regret. And we don't do it to ourselves enough. Instead, we beat ourselves up. That's called shame. Shame's not usually a, a tool that's going to help you feel better. Shame basically serves no redeeming purpose. You should never feel like you're a loser because of something you've done. You could The activity was wrong. You shouldn't do that, but it shouldn't critique your identity. Anyway, last rule. We look for the lasting change in our behavior. From here on out, I want to start noticing when I do follow promptings. So it might be a really good idea today to notice two times today when I followed a prompting and it turned out great. If I could start identifying and taking the regret and showing that I am starting to notice more promptings, I am serving more people in my neighborhood, I am becoming less focused on my stories, once I can see that happening, boom, the change starts to take place. It's just a change. I know it's not easy, folks, but, you know, it beats fighting it for the rest of your life. I've had such an incredible year since our neighbors have passed away. His death has taught me how much better, how much, how to be a better neighbor. I'm more attentive to the promptings I receive. I'm more attentive to my other neighbors and their needs. I've learned since I, you know, since I let that one go, I've learned how to love people more completely around me. The lessons are always there, folks. Don't give up. Don't give up. And don't just give in to regret. It's there for a purpose. And simply ask, what's the most important thing I can do today? to get rid of it and and to become healthy and learn from that regret. There's the Coach's Corner, my friends. Thanks for joining us again. Remember, we can't grow unless we know. One of the goals of the show is to give you the tools to grow because, you know, we'll take a break. When we come back, we'll be wrapping the show up. This is the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio.
Welcome back into the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt has stepped away. A bat signal of sorts was seen in the sky, and he's out saving a marriage somewhere, as he does, as he is the marriage counselor. Daily counseling session that we hold with the men of Sports Nation that's downstairs filming here in BYU Broadcasting. Spencer, how are you today? Fantastic, Terry. I see Brian Logan's with you. Yes. Yes, I am. The Belo is in the house, and uh, we're ready to get bubblicious on <laughs> BYU Sports Nation. There's this great debate raging now about has BYU basketball done enough to get into the NCAA tournament, comparing resumes against other bubble teams, and uh, it's it's going to be a sweated out type of wait for the Cougars and for everyone in BYU Sports Nation waiting to see if they get into the big dance. Do you think they have a chance? I think they're a lock. Brian differs from me. I think BYU's a lock. 25 wins. I I don't think they're a lock. I mean, I hope they get in. I I, I think they will get in. But as far as 100% sure, I do not think so. And so we, me and Spencer, we've been having this debate, uh, you know, this morning talking about some things. And, uh, you know, there's there's, uh, some issues with this right now. I could just feel, I can feel it. I can feel, it's like you can just cut it through it with a knife, you know. The the tangible Uh, tension. Yeah, the tension, man. It's it. It is. That's how strongly Spencer feels about the this basketball team getting into the tournament. I'm all in on 25 wins for BYU, Terry. Now, I just, I'm the, all in. Would this be to a play-in game? I don't care where it is. <laughs> I mean, they, they, call, they call it the first round, but come on, it's the play-in game. They, they actually, hold it on a Tuesday night, isn't it? So they actually they actually made a change. They, oh, they did, did. A, a very wise thing. The first four is now just the first four. It's not the first round anymore. The okay. first round is when there, there was some confusion the last couple of years on yes. what that was supposed to be called. Yeah, they changed it because it was. You're right. It was dumb. <laughs> it made no sense to call that the first round. So the playing games, whether BYU is there or not, I don't care. Just, Just get, get into in. the field of 68 because that is where they want to be. I mean, you talk to any player, present, past, future, it's about getting into the tournament, whether it's a play-in game or not. And I think right now they're, they're walk, that's where they're walking the edge to me is are they a first-round buy? because of what they did late in the season, or are they absolutely a playing game? I don't care. Just get in. Now, we found it convenient that the first time that we get a chance to talk to Sports Nation about this, Matt Townsend's not here. Yeah, what's up um, with that, man? What is the status of the Matt Townsend effect that Ooh. he has touted for the last few weeks that somehow he was the reason BYU was finding success? Oh, and then they of, lose. A little bit of karma, huh? Yeah, yeah. So, so is it his fault? You know what? Let's go ahead and if we're going to blame it on somebody, let's go ahead and blame it on the guy that's not here to defend yeah, himself. You okay. always got to blame it on the guy that's not here. <laughs> always, always. In the room when he talks about it, you kind of feel like it's a 90% him, 10% team when it comes to winning. Right? <laughs> so I, I, I wonder if it's the same in losing. I'm not sure. Well, you know, it's if, if look, if he's going to take 90% credit for the wins, he's got to take 90% credit yeah, yeah, for the losses too, right? It goes both right? ways. He has, to, he has to be there to fess up. So like know. it's convenient that he's he's here or not here rather after they lose. Right. When I, they I, lose it, I'm gonna call it six <laughs> today. <yeah. laughs> he, he, I can be able to make it. He went, Oh, I have an appointment, I need to step out. Just yeah. when we you know, we could address the fact that it might be his fault they lost. He's got an appointment with sleeping in with his bed. <laughs> sleeping <laughs> <Right>. in. <laughs> we love Matt. We love Matt. But yeah, it's it's about the team. And you know, all joking aside, what what BYU did 
uh, after losing to Pepperdine for a second time, when everybody thought, they're, they're out of this, baby. There's NIT train, let's go. To win nine of their last 11, including a win in Spokane against Gonzaga on, on the Zags' senior night is, is unprecedented. I mean, they're, they're the fourth to last team in, according to Joe Lunardi, the bracketologist of bracketologists, uh, when you look at the, the panel that's out there. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's remarkable that they're even in this conversation and that we're even asking the question, are they a lock? Because, you know, three is weeks it, ago it was like, oh, man, there's no chance. Is it a disappointment if they don't make it? And can they find positive something in going, like, to the NIT? Brian, address that. I, I, I think so. Um, well, first, I, I think it is disappointing. You always, always, always want to get into the big dance, right, no matter what. And I think it would be even that much more disappointing uh, considering how they finished the season. But as a fan, as a fan, I would like – to see them go to the NIT and, and, and go all the way. And the only reason why I say that as a fan is because I, would want, I want to see them play more games. Blasphemy! Uh, that's, all, that's the only reason why. I know when it comes to the program and, and the goals, you want to make it to the big dance. But for my own selfish reasons... You know, I think it would be fun and cool to see them take it all the way, you know, and, and that's just my personal opinion. There is that argument, you, as you're saying, you get more games, more reps, the team can grow more, whereas if you go to the NCAA, it might be one, maybe two games and you're out. Right, it, it, that's exactly, this team that's has exactly grown, my this point. This team has grown plenty. <laughs> they, their young guys have played in, in a billion real games this season because of injuries like that. Throw it out, baby. You, Tyler Hawes as a senior, Skylar Halford, Anson Winder, these guys. See, that's that, and that's that's what I'm saying. For for those guys, I I've put myself in their shoes, and who knows? I'm not a, a basketball player. I've I've never been truly truly involved. But my senior year, I want to play as many games as possible. You know, playing football, I want to go to a bowl game to extend my season because I may not ever get a chance to play again. So if that means going to the NIT, uh, possibly to get more games, and that's exactly what I want to do. This is just a taste of what's coming up, Terry. (laughs) What is coming up on your show today? Uh, We're going to talk to David Nixon, who was at the game, about basketball, what he – if he thinks BYU is a lock or not, and get his perspective on spring football, the one area he feels the Cougars on the gridiron need to improve in the most. And Jackson Emery, uh, former BYU basketball player, arguably the greatest defender in Cougar basketball history. We're going to ask him how he feels about BYU's status moving towards Selection Sunday and what it's like – to not have destiny in your hands. He was a part of three outstanding teams, but his first year, BYU went to the NIT, so we're going to ask him to juxtapose the two situations. Sounds good. Thanks for joining us, guys. We'll uh, listen for you coming up top of the hour. All right, Terry. I'm glad that one of one of the important people showed up to work. No thanks to you, Matt. It's called dedication. That's what we do here. <laughs> thanks, guys. Have a good day. Well, there you go. There's that argument with BYU. Do you... Do you want the experience? Do you look for the future, or do you take the team now and you go to the NCAA's? That's a know. tough situation. I mean, like, which do you choose? You got the prestige, or, or yeah? The, I mean, do you I want know. one and done? Maybe two games if yeah. you're lucky, maybe. But in NIT, you can get three or four games. You might get some home games out of the NIT. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a huge home court advantage here. So earlier in the show, we talked about Dumbo. If you remember that, yeah, yeah. They're remaking Dumbo, a live action Dumbo. Mm-hmm. Tim Burton. Who's going to direct? So it might be kind of weird. Yeah, we mentioned that uh, these this 
whole production staff is going to make it the film pretty interesting. Yes, and and it's also being written by the guy that wrote the last three Transformer movies. Mm-hmm. So maybe kind of odd there. I don't know if any of that transfers over because that movie really didn't have much of a plot or character development or anything other than robots. Yeah, so this could be an away. action-packed Dumbo. Action-packed Dumbo. Could be anything. <laughs> Wow, that took me to a weird place. Yeah, yeah. Dumbo with lasers. Now we just need, like, lens flare. Then it would be complete. Wow. A lot of lens flare. That's a horrible movie we just described. (laughs) But that's what they're going with. Now, PETA has got involved because they're concerned they would like for Dumbo to have a happier ending. Huh. I've totally forgotten the ending of Dumbo. Yes, I think earlier today I, I spoke about his mother dying. His mother did not die in the movie. She went. She got mad, and everyone went mad elephant, and so they chained her up. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, at the end of the movie, she's unchained. Well, this, I guess, is a spoiler for a movie that's like spoiler 50 years old. Spoiler alert. The mother's in the train. She has her own car, lots of space to move around inside a train car, and Dumbo's flying around above the train. And they're all happy, and they go on with the circus. Mm. PETA wouldn't like them not to be in the circus at the end. Hmm. So, th- so they want to change the story. Yes, they'd like a new ending to Dumbo. They'd like Dumbo maybe to be on that reserve with the Barnum and Brother, Ringling Brothers uh, elephants are going to go out in that Florida preserve and just retire. Probably send Dumbo out there. He can hang out with the other 43 elephants from the circus. You know what? That's the thing. If you start changing the end, why not change the rest of it too? That instead of – they could make it so Dumbo gets enlisted – by the military become like replaces the drones and starts attacking ISIS. There you Strap go. Strap some laser beams onto the back. Of, it's and an, it's an action movie. Yeah. It's, it's Transformers again. Yeah. Speaking of the military, the U.S. military researchers in South Africa discovered that elephants can identify explosives using smell. What? Wow. So uh, Stephen Lee, head scientist for the U.S. Army Research Office, told the Associated Press that elephants can remember their training for longer than dogs can, so the researchers could hold promise and potentially save lives. Since bringing elephants to minefields wouldn't be practical, they'd step on things, Yeah. Uh, the researchers suggest bringing samples from the mined areas to the trained elephants and the animals could identify whether explosives were present or not. So you're going to have an elephant bomb sniffer. Yes, bomb sniffing elephants. <laughs> I don't know how practical that is, but as yeah. they said, they can't take them to the minefield because they'll step on things. Well, that, I, th- I, I think that they could make them look pretty cool. You know how those dogs always get those, like, jackets? Yes. And such? That'd be cool to see an elephant in one of those big, like, camo yeah. jackets. Get them a combat helmet. Yeah. Ready to go. Yeah. Yeah, I found that funny. Yeah, that'd be interesting. As I read that today. Uh, our friends in North Korea and Russia are getting together. They're uh, looking at a 70th anniversary of the end of World War II, and they're opening a new year of friendship. So we have that to look forward to. Cool. North Korea, Russia, year of friendship. Sounds like fun. And there's some uh, activists here in the United States that have, are, are they in the United States? I think they are. No, they're in, uh, South Korean activists are looking to take one or 10,000 copies of that movie, The Interview, mm-hmm. which is about killing the leader of North Korea. Yes. And they're going to fly over and just dump them out all over the country so these people have free copies of this video, <laughs> along with, you know, anti-North Korea pamphlets. Really? That that could be dangerous, though, because if, if any of those individuals got a copy of that, you know, they could be in big trouble. They're going to use a strategically deployed balloon to deliver the DVDs. North Korea says 
They will take down any, any balloons, not just with a few shots of gunfire, but with cannons and missiles. Wow. So there you go. That's it for the Matt Townsend Show today. Matt Townsend will be back tomorrow with more advice and education and helpful learning as he continues his quest to counsel the world. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. 